Hello and welcome to this week's podcast diary. As you can probably hear, my study's a little emptier than it was this time last week. Only kidding, my study is a little emptier this week, but things haven't got that bad just yet. So, welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 2, Episode 5, for Saturday the 29th of August 2020. And coming up this week, over 60,000 freebies shifted in seven days, or fewer than seven days in actual fact. I will bring you up to date with this week's Left for Dead BookBub promotion. I've now started planning work for Book 3 in my new series, And would you believe it, one of my stories is actually being discussed at a crime and thriller book club. (laughs) More to come on all those stories, but first let's start with my writing update. I can actually tell as I'm speaking to you now that it is a little echoey, a little bit more echoey than it was last week. I've shifted some boxes since last week. (laughs) This desk goes into storage soon. Goodness knows what it'll be like. It'll just be me sat on a stool uh, with a you know with a, a small laptop computer. But let's carry on anyway until it goes completely echoing. Uh, my writing update this week: Fall from Grace is just short of sixty thousand words now. It will become. I'll get to sixty thousand words on Saturday the twenty ninth. So my writing this week: Saturday the twenty second, I wrote one thousand six hundred eighteen words. On Monday the 24th, uh, 1,790 words. It was 1,539 words on Tuesday the 25th, 1,774 days on Wednesday the 26th. Uh, My wife was in work all day on Thursday the 27th, so I wrote 4,913 words that day. And today, within the last half hour, I have written 1,645 words. So my total word count this week is uh, 13,279 words. As I say, I'll reach that 60,000 target tomorrow, and then the book will be finished, should be finished, by next Saturday. So by the time... I've, I've bumped things along a little bit, actually, this week, so I'm hoping that by the time I record this diary next Friday, the book will be finished, hopefully. But I'll tell you then. Okay, so... <laughs> When the first draft is finished, uh, I then have to start delivering children to universities. <laughs> so it's one thing after the other at the moment, but I'm delivering two kids to university next week. So laundry's being done, boxes are being packed, uh, last minute purchases are being made. It's that kind of time in the Teague household. And then I will have to start the next book, Bound by Blood, I need to start writing that on Tuesday the 8th of September. So I finish one book, I deliver two kids at university, and then I'm straight back in starting work on the next book. And yes, my head is spinning round, and yes, it does feel like I've taken on a bit too much. I should have learned my lesson from last year. <laughs> I probably told you this a year ago when I was writing the first Morecambe Bay trilogy, but really it is all got... Can you imagine, uh, is it in Canada where they fell trees? Or you know when you see in cartoons and, and comics, beavers uh, gnawing trees, and you see all these um, tree trunks floating down a river and they all get caught in, in the river. They all get sort of bunched up. That, that's what my books are like at the moment. There's, there's too many books on the river and they're all getting bunched up because 
In terms of editing, I got Trust Me Once back from Julie Cordoner this week. Now, that book isn't due out till November the 2nd, so I am mindful that I want to go through Julie's changes. Now, normally, uh, what what I don't do is I don't look at the minutiae of the changes. So if if Julie changes a word, a spelling, a bit of grammar here, I don't really care about that. I, you just kind of get on with that stuff. I'd, that, that's why I have an editor. But what I will get from Julie uh, are things that I, I must look at, things that are for my attention as the author. And so I've got the manuscript back in that version now, and I need to go through all the points that Julie has made for me. Now, I, I, I know usually this is just my my uh, negative mindset occasionally that when when I get a manuscript back from the editor I almost dare not look at it I think oh this is going to be full of all sorts of stuff and then I mean how many has Julie edited now I can't remember but um, I, I know that at every occasion when I've opened it I've thought, oh, this is going to be bad news. There's going to be a lot of work here. And I've gone through it. It's been okay. <laughs> They've only been fairly minor decisions, nothing too drastic. They're usually pointers about plot and, and, and did you mean to say this or did you know you'd said this earlier? Th- you know, things like that that I just need to, to correct. So they're not, it's not saying, oh, by the way, you've got everything wrong with this book. You need to rewrite it. Though there's something, I think it's a hangover from school, isn't it? I don't, you know, if you were a child of the 70s, uh, I think certainly by the time I was teaching, when was I teaching? In the 80s, everything had become very positive and everybody got certificates for, uh, you know, just getting through the day and breathing correctly or something. You know, by the time I was a teacher, uh, and by the time my kids were at school, uh, I mean, I can tell you this because we've just been sorting out the, the kid, the certificates the kids got at school for doing everything uh, is unbelievable. But when I was at school, <laughs> we I think used to get one certificate or one prize a term and most of the time somebody was hassling you so I, I'm sure it's a hangover from school that you know sense that you were always in trouble or you were always doing something wrong so uh, you know when I get when I get an edit back I'm always bracing myself and oh god what's this going to be like so anyhow I got, I got to get on with the edit uh, that Julie's given me and I, I know from experience that they're not usually as, as bad as I think they're going to be but also um, I've got to start planning the next book. Now, uh, Glutton for Punishment, I actually set up, when I was writing Fall from Grace this week, I can't remember what made me think it. What made me think this? I can't remember what made me think it. Uh, maybe I'd just seen somebody on Twitter writing a Christmas book. And I just thought about the strategic importance of having a Christmas book. And, and I was wondering what it would be like to have the equivalent of Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody, in your in your author portfolio. And I was just thinking, you know, there's a, there's a special audience for Christmas books, and, and it's a great way of bringing people into your series. And I was just thinking, you know, Slade, Noddy Holder, who wrote um, Merry Christmas, everybody, with, I think it was with Jim Lee from Slade, and they, they make £100,000, £200,000 a year in royalties every year from that from that Christmas song. And I was thinking, you know, I ought to have my own writer's equivalent of Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody. And as I was writing the book, there was a scene this week that I wrote where it was really easy just to set it up. And I originally thought, oh, it won't get done this year. I'm too busy this year. This is something I could do next year. But let me set it up in the time frame so that there's a specific point, a specific event that I mention in one book. And it'll just be a little standalone story It'll have some kind of seasonality, seasonal look on the cover. And I just thought, I can wheel that out every Christmas and it might bring in some new readers to the series. But it will be a standalone using the characters from the Walk and Bay trilogy. 
And then I started looking at my planning and thinking, could I, could I get that done and ready to release by the 1st of December? Is that possible? And I, I did a little bit of playing around with my schedule. And it would be possible to do that, even when we're in Spain. So, I, at the moment, there's so much happening at the moment. And it, it, it might begin to cool down when the kids are off at university. But there's a lot of things happening at the moment. And I'm, I am feeling, for somebody who's supposed to be, I did always say it's inverted commas retired. I'm inverted commas retired. Because I don't feel it at the moment. <laughs> I've got so much going on. It feels, you know, as busy as, uh, as ever. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I prefer to be busy. But the books... This week, I've struggled with my planning for the next book. Just really, I'm struggling to get my head sort of out the one that Julie's just edited on the one I'm doing and then to be thinking about the next one. And um, it's it's just all bunched up a bit this weekend, or this week, I should say. And I'm just feeling a little bit under pressure with the books. Now, as I said to you, it's self-imposed pressure because I've only set in stone the release date, 2nd of November, for the first book, Trust Me Once, which Julie's just gone through. I just need to read through it. And, and you know, frankly, we could release it then. Uh, it won't get released then, but frankly, it could be released then. So, so book one's ready. The one I'm committed to is ready. And, uh, you know, it's not like you can't cancel uh, a pre-release. Uh, you could cancel that. I mean, there, there might be a penalty to pay uh, on it from Amazon, but you could cancel that. So it's only, it, these are self-imposed deadlines. Well, I hit the deadlines. Of course I do. Um, but the other two books, the one I'm writing at the moment, I mean, it's going to be ready. It's going to be done by next week. I think the stress I'm feeling is, is that I'm coming right to the end of this book. I'm coming to the denouement, denouement, is that how you say it, of this book. And then I'm having to think ahead to the next book. I kind of want to get this one done first before I think about the next one. Because although I know what the arc of the story is, there's some things I might have to throw in and some things I might need to take out. When you, when you do those last chapters in a story, it's all very exciting in a thriller. I'm not quite sure what I'll need to use and what what I'll need to just push to the next story. So I don't, in that respect, I don't really feel quite ready to start planning the next story yet. Now, I know the overall arc of the next story. I know, I know what the last chapters are in the third story. They're planned out. But how we get there, I'm not sure of yet. Now, in book three, I have a look at somebody's story, one of the protagonist's story. We go back in time to see, to hear her story. And and then this is what I like to do with my thrillers is that the, the, the backstory, the kind of the thing that happened in the past merges towards the end of the book with what happens in the present. And you get that, ah, that's what was going on moment. You get that moment of realisation. And then the rest of the book plays out. Now, those events that take place in the past are an awful lot easier for me to plan than the events that take place in the present. So what I decided to do this week, because I was feeling under pressure, and I, didn't, I felt like I wanted to get this book written first before I have to go too deep into the next book. What I've done is on my planning, I have scheduled to do the, the bits that happened in 1999, because they're an awful lot easier to, for me to plan and to write. And then when I've done those, I will come back to the bits that need to happen in the present. And by the time I've done those, I will have tidied up book two. So I, I just re remanaged things this week because I was just feeling it all coming in on me and just feeling that I got too much on with the book. So if you think now, what am I writing now? I've just, Judith's just sent back my 14th thriller, my 24th book, 
and I'm working on my, what is it, 40, 15th thriller, which is my 25th book. I think that's right. Sure, that's right. Am I right? I think that's right. <laughs> Can't remember. How many books have I written, everybody? I'm sure you're keeping count better than I am. Anyway, I'm sure that's the right number of thrillers. And I'm, I'm planning my 16th thriller. So however many books you write, you can still get in a tiz. You still sometimes can get in a bit of a fix. And, and I think sometimes I'm a bit like a rabbit in the light. And I experienced this a lot last year. When I'm thinking about so many things, sometimes my, my head just feels full. And I have to put one thing to the side before I think I can think clearly about the next. So I view that as just par for the course, par for the course. But when I feel that way, rather than just be the rabbit in the headlights, I replan things, I rejig things to make them more manageable for myself. Anyhow, so going back to that that concept of a standalone Christmas story, I set it up, it was just a, a by the by, it's just two characters, a character that I have called Stephen Terry, who's a, a clairvoyant, and he, I have him just sort of popping up, he's popped up in the Walker Bay trilogy, and he pops up in the Don't Tell Meg trilogy, and, he, and he's one of these characters that brings the world together. And the Don't Tell Meg story isn't linked at all to the Morecambe Bay trilogy, but only only in passing. But the characters don't know each other. They're not part of each other's lives. But Stephen Terry does get involved uh, in, in all of the stories. And so I just set it up so that um, the protagonist in this book had called Stephen Terry in because she, she wanted his advice on something. And she just says, we must meet up sometime and, and just go out for some drinks and a meal. And Stephen says, well, I'm back at Christmas. I'm, I'm back doing um, a TV show in Morecambe in a hotel, in a haunted hotel. Why don't we meet up then? It's just a throwaway line. It's just a throwaway line about Stephen being back in the resort at Christmas and them saying that they'll have to meet up. And, and I will create a story either this year or next year, a, a Christmas-based story around that little side story. Now, it'll only be 30,000 words. It's going to be a short one if I'm going to rush it out and have it ready. Uh, and I'm hoping that it's going to be a decent quality sort of story. No, I don't want it to be a rubbishy story. I hope it's going to be like a Slade's Merry Christmas rather than a bit of a duffer like Thank God It's Christmas by Queen. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for a Merry Christmas, everybody, not a Thank God It's Christmas. And Thank God It's Christmas, I'm a huge Queen fan, but that was just one that, in my opinion, Queen just trotted out to cash in on Christmas. Uh, and it certainly it was far from one of their best tracks. They did much better than that. Whereas Merry Christmas, everybody, is kind of definitive Christmas, I feel. So that's what I'm shooting for anyway. I'll let you know whether it's going to get done. It really, it, I guess it really depends on if the third book, Bound by Blood, flows. And, and I, I know where I'm going with it. And I'm, it's just a case of writing it. When I, when I know I've got that in the pot in my head, when I've got that planned and plotted and I'm good to go... I will then I'll commit to doing this story or not. And it'll be a very, very fast turnaround on this 30,000 word story uh, because it needs to be ready for the, the 1st of December. But if not, I'll just park that concept, that idea, and I'll do it next year. And I might even write it well before Christmas next year, but it will be a bit of a rush job if I do it before Christmas. But as I say, you know, I'm using Trello. I can plan out the boards. I was having a look at it. It would get written in Spain if um, if I wrote it. And I was just looking at how much time it would take and how much of the day it would take. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. I could do a 30,000 worder in that time scale. So it's penciled in a Christmas book. Never thought I'd see the day that I even considered doing a Christmas book. 
Okay, so um, Judy's got trust me once back to me. Uh, that's I've got to go through that. And um, I opened my big mouth this week and wished I hadn't. So I've got to go through Judy's changes. And then I wanted to run it by beta readers. And I actually have got a lovely team. I had a team of about eight, eight beta readers. And they're brilliant. They're all you know, really good. They love my books. And they give me great feedback. Rather than just, oh, yeah, it was a great book. You know, that kind of feedback. It's like, well, that's not really what I was after. They, they just give me really quality feedback. They, they pick up spelling mistakes without being over pedantic. They, they, they approach it as a reader which is what I want people to do. I want them to approach it as a reader, not as an academic. So it's interesting. I had somebody write to me today to say, oh, Paul, um, you know, I'm interested in becoming a, a beta reader. Uh, you should know up front, you know, I'm a nitpicker and uh, a grammar Nazi and all of this. Uh, and I just basically said, I don't think we'll be a good fit because I'm all about reading first, reading first, story first. You know, I don't, I remember somebody saying, is it on, on Don't Tell Meg, the, the, the phrase is be careful who you sleep with. And I remember somebody put on a review, I think, be careful with whom you sleep. And you just think, oh, for goodness sake. You know, and, and I got this again from the BBC. Remember, I, you know, I've been learning this stuff since 1991 when I did my journalism degree. They call it journalese. They call it journalese. It's the first thing they teach you. And it's the most painful thing you have to learn. So I was not long out of university. I was used to writing academic essays that were very formal, as, as we all are when we've, we've been through that sort of particular journey. And when I started learning about journalism, they, they wanted us to use contractions. They said, talk how people talk, use language that people use, uh, make it understandable, make it read nicely. And that's what I'm about. I'm not a pedant. I don't care. It's all about communication. Now, sure, the spellings need to be right. You know, sure, we need not to be making big errors with grammar. But my number one overriding principle when I write a book is, is this readable? Uh, you know, and, and you don't get this pedantry from regular readers. When I read a book, I'm not sitting there saying, right, let's read this book. And if there's any spelling mistakes, it's over. You know, who cares that much? <laughs> really? I just don't care that much. If I'm immersed in the story, I really won't care about, uh, about a spelling mistake. So I did say to this person who said I'm a nitpicker and a, and a, and a grammar nut. So I said, well, I don't think we'll be a good fit because what I'm after is people who, who kind of just read the book, read it as a reader and just point out things that, that need to be changed. You know, because frankly, I could get a team of academics on anything I've ever written and they'd sit there arguing all day about whether we did an Oxford comma or whatever. And really, I haven't got the time for it. <laughs> okay, So long as there's no glaring, horrible, terrible spelling mistakes and errors in there, I'm good to go as far as I'm concerned. You know, don't sweat the small stuff, which is one of my, you know, pet phrases. And, uh, you know, sure as hell, if you get loads of people reading it, if there is a big mistake in it, you'll soon find out. And it's self-publishing. And we can put it right in a matter of minutes. No one's going to die. That So, you know, I know I sound glib sometimes. And I really do care. I want to get it right. I do want to get it right. But I don't care that much. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Because if I have missed a spelling mistake, well, whoopee-doo. We know we're human. We all make spelling mistakes. I'll just go back and I'll put it right. And it won't be there anymore. And, and, and that's how I feel about this stuff. We've got to get a sense of proportion with this stuff. No, no one's ever going to die. Anyhow, back to me and my big mouth. I don't know who it was. Was it Mark Dawson I was listening to? Somebody was talking about how many beta readers they got. I thought, oh. I ought to get more beta readers, really, didn't I? You know, I've only got these eight. I say I've only got these eight. They're very good beta readers, too. And so I thought, well, you know, I better just top that those numbers up a little bit. I'll send an email out this week to be thriller readers and um, see if anybody wants to be a beta reader. Well, 
Oh, me and my big mouth, why didn't I just shut up and stick with the eight I've got? Because I've got something like 800, I don't know, 800, 100 and something beta readers now. And I just thought, oh, I can't respond to you all individually. Um, and um, the other thing I did, because I did the email quickly in MailerLite, what I should have done, oh, Paul, you know how to do this and you didn't do it. What I should have done is put a button in the email and said, if you'd like to be added to my beta reader list, click this button and it will automatically add you to the list. And I would have put a, an automation in there and it would have done it automatically. But did I? No, I didn't because I wasn't expecting over a hundred people to say they wanted to be a beta reader. So in Gmail, I got over a hundred emails of people saying I'd like to be a beta reader. And somehow I then had to extract all those emails and put them into the relevant beta reader list in MailerLite. Anyhow, I found a little plugin that allowed me to automate it. So it extracted all the emails. Basically in Gmail, I had to add a label to the emails that I wanted to transfer. I used a little gizmo that then imported all those hundred odd emails into a Google Drive document. And then I cut and paste them and put them into MailerLite. And then I sent everybody a round robin email, which said, look, I was a bit overwhelmed by this. You're not getting a personal reply but you're on the list. So I now have way too many, way too many beta readers, many of whom probably would have bought the book anyway. So me and my big mouth, I was doing something in a rush. I didn't think it through. And it's my own silly fault. You've only yourself to blame, Paul. Only yourself to blame. So there we go. I've got a lot of beta readers now. Now what, what I usually find is, I mean, I have done this before. This is why I've got my eight really good ones from because a lot of people never even read the book. Some people give feedback that's so useless, like, oh, it's a good book. You know, it's that's, I mean, it's all nice to know, but it's useless from a beta point of view. And you soon boil down the people who give you really, you know, what I think what you want with a beta reader is you want somebody who loves your books. I don't want somebody who's going to sit there saying that was a rubbish book. So don't read me books then, get off my list and read someone else. Okay, what I want as a beta reader is some uh, somebody who likes my books, who, who, who is predisposed to like my books and my style, who can then say, uh, you know, I like the book, I spotted these spelling mistakes, there was a factual error just there, and, um, you know, I thought it was it fitted well in with the series. That, that's what I'm after, really. I, I'm not after a fight. I don't want to fight with someone. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't be fighting with a beta reader um, over whether they like the book or not, because they shouldn't be beta reading it unless they, they, they love my books. That's my view of a beta reader. Um, you know, they, they need to be predominantly people who like what you do and want to read more of what you do because they're there really to help you perpetuate your brand, I feel, and, and not let yourself down with anything that you write. So anyhow, I've got a lot of them now, but we'll, we'll weed them out because, uh, you know, most of them won't even read the book in the timescale. Um, many of them won't give decent feedback. And what I do will cream off the best ones and just, what, what would be nice, I think, is to have, a list of say 20 beta readers who are really good uh, at the end of this that would be really good just to just to put the numbers up a little bit but you don't want too many beta readers because again you could give your book to anybody and anybody's going to give you different feedback on it and I, I do think the trick I used to say this when I was a manager uh, that, that you know you would take everybody's view but your job as a manager was then to, to make the right decision so you take all the information in and then you make the right decision 
uh, and it's you who makes the decision because you're the manager. When you write a book, that's my view of that too, is I could give a book to anybody and they'd all find different stuff in it, stuff they like, stuff they don't like, comments about the characters, you know, they'd all find something completely different. And as a writer, you'll go mad if you listen to all of it. You will go mad if you listen to everything that everybody says. So you just have to take it on board and you have to make that management decision. You are the manager of your business, of your book. You have to make the best decisions based on what you want, not what everybody else wants, because you're the author, you're in control, you're the manager. And, and that's how you steer through that. But if you listen to everything anybody ever tells you, you will go mad. It's like having 10 hands on the tiller of a ship. You'll be going all over the place and you'll never reach your destination. So it needs one hand on the tiller. And it's fine to ask all the shipmates what their advice is, but there's one hand on the tiller, and that's yours, uh, particularly as a self-published author. Okay, now, uh, before we go for a break, a short break, a musical interlude, um, I'm going to take a question and read a question this week. But I, I have said to you, I'm not going to deal with any email questions anymore because they take up too much of my time. And if you have got a question, I want you to record it for me so I can make some content around it. But also, that way, I'm not answering a question for just one person. I'm sharing that information with hundreds of people. Everybody can access that information. That feels to be a much better way of managing the time of the questions. Now, I got a, a question this week from Mark Dobbs. Mark also uh, made a very generous contribution via Buy Me A Coffee. So thank you very much for that, Mark. I appreciate that. And uh, Mark asked me a question and I asked him to record it so that I could put it in the podcast feed. There was some technical gremlin. So I said to Mark, look, it's a good question. Uh, it's a very relevant question and I'll answer it in the podcast. But also, um, because it actually allows me to plug a couple of my affiliate links, I'm quite happy to build it into the content of this week's show. So let me tell you what Mark said. So thank you very much for your comments, Mark. Mark said, I appreciate your podcast. Your advice is pure gold and your honest and optimistic style is encouraging. I'm soaking up your 50 um, self-publishing tips podcast now and you've helped me to get off the fence on buying Scrivener. But my question is, why do you need both Scrivener and Vellum if Scrivener will compile into formats for publishing? Right, that's a really good question, which is why I want to uh, share the answer with you. It's a really good question and one that a lot of people will ask. Why do you need both Scrivener and Vellum if Scrivener will compile into formats for publishing? That was the reason I was looking into Vellum, but with Scrivener now purchased, I wonder if I need Vellum. So a lot of people ask that question. I've heard it a lot of time, and that's why I wanted to include it in this week's podcast. Now, so I use Scrivener and Vellum, but I think they are two very different tools. Scrivener is brilliant for writing, for planning, for reorganizing your book. In Scrivener now, so for instance, if you look at the book I'm writing at the moment, in Scrivener, um, I've, I've evolved the way I write now so that in this Scrivener file, I will have every book in this trilogy. So all three books are being written in the same Scrivener file. And now Julie has sent me her edit back for the first book. I will have draft one, draft two, draft three, draft four, however many drafts there turn out to be within the Scrivener file. And I save my files in Scrivener to a Dropbox folder where they are always backed up automatically. So I back up my Scrivener files because they're incredibly important. And as I've evolved my process, I keep all, I used to have separate 
Scrivener files for all of this, but I have one Scrivener file for one book. And in fact, this time, this is the first time I put all three books in a trilogy in the same Scrivener file because I've just found that it's better for editing. It helps me with what I call my version control. As you get more and more books, it gets more difficult to track which was that the 2020 version or the 2019 version. Very important to monitor your version control. So as I've evolved my process, I'm just putting all of the books, all of the drafts, all of the versions into Scrivener. And one of the things, I, I tend not to use it actually, but I know a lot of the people in Scrivener like the little file card system that you could drag and drop and, and move around. That's not the way I like to plan. I plan a slightly different way. So essentially, I use Scrivener for, for writing my books and storing all the versions, but I've also created templates in Scrivener so that when I write a book, I have my chapter in bold, I have um, a template that has the second paragraph indented, so it's all formatted correctly. And on every chapter, I have the, uh, a little section that has the notes in, so that when I plan the book, I drop the notes in to tell me what happens in each chapter. So that when I when I write every day, I've got my chapter outline at the bottom, the page is formatted correctly, and it just makes the process completely streamlined. Now, when I write my book in Scrivener, I will then export it to a Word document, and that's what I will work on and send to Judy Cordiner because editors at the moment work in Word documents. That's a, a, a limitation, I guess. If, if somebody's listening here who wants to come up with a brilliant piece of software, what would be fantastic is something that both editors and writers use because Scrivener would be useless, I think, if you were an editor. You really need something like Word if you're an editor. But it would be lovely to have something that both editors and writers could use a degree on as a tool because we've all got very different needs and requirements. So, uh, so, so this is a good example of the book I've just written. I exported that into Word. I use Word and, and Grammarly and the spell check and the grammar check to go through and to, to make corrections to that document. I then send that document to Julie as a Word document. Julie has sent me a Word document back, which is commented. So I've got to work through her comments. And when I've worked through Julie's comments, I will just make sure that I haven't introduced any new spelling mistakes into that document. I take great care at that stage. If I have to make any changes, I you know, really, really great care if I make any changes to anything that Julie has made. I read it you know, several times to make sure that I haven't introduced something stupid after Julie's edited it, because that would be crazy. And then when I'm happy with that document, that document will get put into Scrivener as the final published version. So I've got a record of the final published version and it will then get imported into Vellum. Now, this mark goes to the heart of your question because you're absolutely right. I could then import that final version into Scrivener, do a little bit of formatting on it, just tidying up where, where maybe words just got some of the formatting out. And then I could output that file from Scrivener. I've never even done it this way, but I think you could do it as a Mobi and an EPUB, if I remember correctly, from Scrivener. But you could certainly output the files from there. So at that point, Mark, that's absolutely fine. Yes, you can do that. Yes, those files you could upload to Google, Draft Digital, whatever you want. They are uploadable files. But... Why then do we use Vellum? Okay, what you will get, and this is what I used to use in, in the old days when I started before Vellum came on the scene. The thing about using Scrivener in that way, and the thing about using Word, if you use that to format your files, is that you want to 
you know, I want to have really nice files, but also I want to use the files for marketing. So when I come to the Vellum stage, I will take that final Word document and I will import it into Vellum. I will then create, uh, Vellum will then create automatically uh, an index page. Now, if you've ever created an index page in Word, it's a pain in the butt. I'm not very good at Word, but it is. A, I find it a pain in the butt creating indexes. And I'm not even sure whether Scrivener will create that for you. I don't know because I've never used it. Uh, those of you who use Scrivener will, will, will know that. But but regardless of that, you need to have a an index page. Now, you think of my 12-pack book that I've created, and I created that in Vellum. Vellum automatically created a sort of correctly leveled index of 12 books so that you could go to any book and any chapter without blindly flicking around the page locations on your Kindle. So it's really important that you have that that index and Vellum just does it instantly, just instantly just from the chapter titles. Absolutely amazing that the way it creates the, the indexes. Vellum will also take care, and I found this a bit of a pain in Scrivener, of the indentations on the page. So you can set it up so that it doesn't indent the first paragraph and then indents all subsequent paragraphs. Vellum will give you complete control at a sentence level over alignment. It will allow you to pick the styling of your chapter headings and your, your, your text. It will um, it allows you to create pages, special pages, which draft the digital and Kindle are, are recognized, particularly draft the digital. I've noticed this. So you can have a forward page. You can have um, what is it? You know, about the author page, all sorts of things in them, special pages that you could designate that don't then subsequently mess up your index because the index isn't quite sure where it sits in the hierarchy. And I think that the single pressing reason for, well, sorry, there are many pressing reasons for using Vellum rather than Scrivener. Scrivener. But in Vellum, for instance, when, when I come to process this book, the, the one that Julie's just given me, I will import the Word file, I will open up one of my other thrillers, and rather than have to do the work from scratch, I will drag and drop the also by the copyright page, the this, that, and the other pages, all these standard pages in the book. I'll drag and drop them, and, and the book will be perfect. It will look beautiful, and it will be ready to process probably in about 10 minutes. It will look amazing without any messing around. Now, you've kind of got to use Venom to see how amazing it is. And what I would tell you about Venom is you can download Venom. You can put your manuscript in for free. You can download it for free. And you can take it and you can preview it and see how fantastic Vellum is. And you don't have to pay until you want to click that generate button and create the files. So they give it's like a free trial, but you can you can play with it, but you just can't create the first files. Uh, it will let you do everything but that. But you can see it in the preview pane. You can see how beautiful Vellum is. Now, a couple of reasons I love Vellum because I can template my books. So, um, you know, I can pull over. Um, also buy pages and uh, you know notes about the author and copyright pages. I just don't have to recreate them every time. I just drag and drop them into the new file. But the the key the key reason there are many reasons for using Vellum is that I love the way that you can cross promote your books to other formats. So I, I've talked about books to read before. Books to read is great. If you're listed wide, it's brilliant. But the trouble from a it, remember, I come from an internet marketing background, and the principle of internet marketing is, is that we want to take people to the point of sale, 
as quickly as we can with as few clicks as we can. I love books to read. It's a brilliant, brilliant service. But the problem with books to read uh, the first time you use it is that I have to click the book and I will then go to a books to read landing page, which will then say, do you want to read on Amazon or Google or Barnes and Noble and whatever? And then I'll click Amazon and it will take me to the Amazon page. That's an extra click. And we don't like extra clicks when we're trying to make sales. We want people to go straight to the sales page if we can. Now, subsequently, when you've used books to read once, you can say, oh, I always want to buy my books on Amazon. And that books to read from there on will automatically take you to the vendor of your choice. But I want to remove as many clicks as possible. And the great thing about Vellum is, is that you can create what they call store links in Vellum. And you can add these store links. You just add your, and it takes affiliate payments as well. You can add your store links for wherever you're selling. I've just done this with the book that I'm promoting this week. You sell, you, you add your store links. And when people say, you know, for instance, you know, check out Don't Tell Mega, they click the link. It, Vellum will automatically, or the file that Vellum creates, will automatically take them to the store of that they, they're reading the book on. So it will detect that they're reading on a Kindle or a Barnes and Noble, and it will automatically take them to that store. So it, it removes a potential extra link by taking them exactly where they want to be. And the other thing that it will do is it will geolocate that. So if I'm in the States, it will take me to Amazon.com. If I'm in the UK, it will automatically take me to Amazon.uk. These are vital links. If you're a midway author, which most of us are, by midway author, I mean... People will buy our books, but it's you know it's like pulling teeth. We have to work hard to get people to buy our books. We're no James Patterson or J.K. Rowling. They don't fly off the shelves. We have to work hard at it. Right? We need as much help as we can get. We need the wind beneath our wings, to coin that phrase again. And so the fewer clicks we can get in that marketing process, the better. And Vellum makes that superb. And, and then, Mark, you know, if I needed to convince you any further of the difference between Vellum and Scrivener, you try making a paper book, paperback book, in any other format than vellum. It is a thing of absolute beauty making your paperbacks with vellum. In fact, you don't have to do any more work than you do to create an ebook. Now, because I've been at this for some time, I have formatted my first paperbacks in Word, and it is a nightmare. If you've ever had to do it with any other rubbishy tool, and then you get a whiff of vellum, and you do it once in vellum, you will never, ever, ever go back ever <laughs> so i mean i you know i know i am enthusiastic about that because it really is that good it's that good now so yes mark technically you could use scrivener to make those files but don't <laughs> Now, there's one more proviso to this because Vellum, you know, does come with expense. It's about, what is it, $250, something like that. You know, it's quite a big expense. What I would say to you is if you're only ever going to write one book, if, if that's your dream, I want to write a book and I want it on my shelf and that's it, don't bother with Vellum. It's too much of an expense. You won't get your money's worth from it. Uh, I would recommend in that situation, I wouldn't even recommend struggling through. I would recommend paying a book formatter, which is what I used to do before I used Vellum. Get a formatter to do it. They don't cost an awful lot of money. And the time that it saves you and the job, the brilliant job that they'll do is well worth it. So if you're just going to write a book and that's your dream, uh, that's all you're ever going to do, 
just pay someone to do it for you there's a one-off and it'll look great and you'll get your money's worth and and you'll save all the pain of making a paperback but if you intend I, the number i put on it is three because i reckon roughly you're looking at about a hundred dollars for a book format that's pretty well what i was paying for a full-length book format so if you're going to write three books, that's going to cost you $300. Vellum's going to cost you $250. So you're $50 up on the deal if you're going to do three books uh, and a lot of hours and, and, and headaches up on the deal if you just buy Vellum. So I, I would say if you're going to do three books or more, then get Vellum. Now, if you think how many books I've got, is it 20, whatever it is, however many books I've got, I really get my use out of Vellum. <laughs> I get a lot of use out of Vellum. And remember, I reissue books too. And Vellum is just a dream. It's perfect. So I honestly think the dream team is writing Scrivener and processing Vellum. Now, when I go to Spain, interestingly, I can't use Scrivener I'll talk about this a bit later, but I'm going to be using a Chromebook when I go to Spain, and I can't use Scrivener on a Chromebook. So an alternative that I do use is I do use Google Drive sometimes for writing. Um, but what I do in Google Drive is I, I import my Scrivener template so that I've got all the indents and all the page headings done, and I simply use that template when I'm writing in Drive. So I wrote all of my non-fiction books at the beginning of lockdown they were all written in google drive so to be honest i do get on well with google drive it's perfectly all right i prefer i prefer to do things in scrivener and when i get back from spain and back on a pc all those files will go back into scrivener uh, you know or i'll use scrivener uh, via a virtual pc or something like that so i can access my files um, but but my preferred way of working is definitely scrivener and Venom. So I did say to Mark that I would answer that question because I felt that that was a really general question that a lot of people would ask. And I did say to him that I was going to turn it into a financial opportunity because I am, because I use and love these products so much, I am an affiliate for both of those products. So if you are interested in checking out Scrivener, please take a look at it via my affiliate link, which is paulteague.com forward slash Scrivener. And if you are interested in looking at Vellum a little more, then head for my affiliate link again, paulteague.com forward slash use Vellum, use Vellum. When you buy through my affiliate link, you don't pay any extra. I just get a kickback for the referral. So it costs you no extra. Nothing changes about your purchase. It's just a way of supporting this podcast and the information I share. And if you are a PC user, Vellum is native to Macs. And I've helped you out with that too, because if you go to Google or go to my blog at paulteague.com and look for my article, How to Use Vellum on a PC, then I will explain to you how I use Vellum using a PC, even though the software is supposed to be only for a Mac. Now, when I contacted the guys at Vellum and said, can you set me up with an affiliate link? I was delighted that they said to me, that they send people to my article. When people say, well, can we use this on a PC? They, the people who made Venom send people to my article online to show them how to use it on a PC. How, how flattering is that? So if you do need some help with that, just head for porting.com and look for how to use Venom on a PC. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of BookBrush, the simplest way to create 3D book covers, box sets, sales videos, and social media images for your books. When you buy BookBrush through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. 
I've used Photoshop, Pixlr, Canva, and although they're all great, you can't beat Bookbrush as a core component of your author armory. To check out the best image and promo creation service for indie authors, head over to paulteague.com forward slash bookbrush. I thought you might like a little insight behind the scenes of this podcast. I hadn't realised this episode was going to be quite as long as it's going to be, obviously, at this stage. I think we're 40-odd minutes in already, and I haven't even told you about my book bub. So my voice was going a bit. I nipped out to make a cup of tea. And I just paused the 40-odd minutes that I've recorded so far, and then unpaused it to start recording this bit. I completely messed up the numbers on this, but I got the numbers all mixed up. So I pressed stop and then delete. And to my horror, I thought I'd just deleted the first 45 minutes I'd recorded. And I'm so relieved to find out that I hadn't. (laughs) I thought, oh no, my voice is given out anyway. It's not going to make that 45 minutes again. So let's let's see how we go. Watch the buttons, Paul. Don't press anything that's got a red light on it. Okay, so I'll just let's just leave everything running and I'll try not to destroy anything. So let's get to the BookBub promo this week then. And if you recall, I had a e-reader news today and a free booksy promo at the beginning of this week, or last week, I beg your pardon, just to warm us up for the, the BookBub promo, which was on Monday. And I just wanted to give you the numbers to let you know how that had gone. So an e-reader news today and a free booksy. I think it was an e-reader news today on the Monday and a free booksy on the Thursday. And I just totted up what that had done for me just before we did the BookBub promo so I could see what had contributed to the numbers. So we had lots of activity on Draft Digital. I got rid of 2,710 freebies before the BookBub. That got me to number 10 in the Apple chart. And that 2,710 was made up of 2,529 on Apple and 181 on Barnes & Noble. I got rid of 8,247 free books on Amazon and 161 on Kobo. So that bears out what I've always told you about these wide BookBub promos. I I always do best on Amazon. Apple does really well. Um, you know, it, it does a good job, does Apple. It's always second for me. Then it's Barnes & Noble. Then it's Kobo. And I can't give you, I can give you total numbers for Google, but I didn't get numbers for Google. I don't think they were in my dashboard by the time I was compiling these. So I can give you total for Google, but I can't give you pre-book numbers for Google. But I, I don't think they would have been very high, to be honest with you. Now, those two promos, you read the news today and free books, which are two of my favourites, took me to number 49 in the top 100 Kindle store in India, and they got me to number six in crime, thriller, and mystery. In Australia, it took me to number 20 in the total Kindle store, the free store, not the paid one, obviously, and it got me to number two in suspense thrillers and number two in woman sleuths. Now, in the USA, now, now on these promos, I always do better in the USA. And because much of my career was using these email promos, my early career, my numbers were always skewed towards the USA, whereas since I've been doing Facebook ads, they're more skewed towards the UK. So Freebooks and E-Reader News Today did really well in the USA. And in actual fact, the reason that I paused this section of the podcast last time when I nearly deleted the first bit was because I was looking at these figures thinking these can't be right these can't be right and then I, I looked through my notes and thought they are right that, that's a really good result so in the USA this is pre-book bub I got to number three in the whole Kindle store 
in the USA. And the promos got me to number one in psychological literary fiction, number one in vigilante justice, and number one in private investigator mysteries. Now remember, this is free books, not paid books. So I'd say that was a pretty good result. And in the UK, it got me to number two in the free Kindle store. That's the, the top 100 free in Kindle. And it got me to number one in crime and thrillers, number one in kidnapping crime fiction, and number one in vigilante justice. So that's pretty good results, I would say, as far as that's concerned. So when we did the book bub, then um, it gave me that, you know, really big push. So I got to number one in the total Apple store free book. So I was number one of all free books in the Apple store and in crime and thrillers. Now, I, th I think that's right. The screenshot I've got is just says crime and thrillers. I think I'm right in saying it was the whole store. I, I, th I think I'm right. But it was certainly crime and thrillers. And then in terms of Amazon, I got to number one in the US, in the, in the whole store, and I was one in crime and thrillers, one in kidnapping crime fiction, and one in vigilante justice. And I was number two in the total UK store, but I got to number one in woman sleuths, one in vigilante justice, and one in private investigative mysteries. So, so basically it just pushed me right to the top. I, I was as high as I could be in free, but I didn't quite make it to number one in the UK free Kindle store. Now, let me give you my weekly numbers then, as of 10 a.m. on Friday. So this, these numbers now uh, are including free booksy. They're including the book doggy that I had on Wednesday. They include the book bub and they include the, did I say free books? Did you read the news today? Yeah, so four, four promos. So total downloads as of 10 o'clock this morning, I got eight, uh, 38,867 downloads on Amazon. 2,208 downloads on Google, 4,771 downloads on Kobo, 14,324 downloads on draft the digital And so my total downloads for the whole of this promo of free books of Left for Dead was 60,170 copies. And I'm just thinking while I'm reading that to you that you probably want to know the breakdown of Barnes and Noble and Apple. And I'm hoping that if I can get my dexterity sorted out while I'm talking to you at the same time, I might even be able to tell you that that, that information. Oh, I'm going to make a mess of this now. I think I might make a mess of this. Let's see if it'll give me the numbers. Let's have a look. Yeah, so I, I can tell you that most of it was was Apple. The, the, the majority of it was Apple. I don't know whether I'm going to get to boil that down while I'm talking at the same time. But uh, loads of those were Apple, and it did really well in Apple. And um, many of them were Barnes and Noble, but I'm not quite sure how many. Let's just give it one more try while I'm talking to you. Uh, sales by channel. Let's have a look. Sales by channel so far this month. I can do it. There we go. So in Apple, oh, that's just oh, that's the amount of money that I've made. I don't want to do the amount of money. Let's put it this way. One, two, I've made th three times in Apple what I made in Barnes and Noble. I can tell you that three times. Can I tell you anything else or am I going to make a pig's ear of it? Yeah, I can't tell you. I can't break down the number of sales, not quickly, unfortunately, in in the uh, in draft the digital make doesn't make life easy enough for me i'm afraid so sorry about that uh i'll, I'll take one last chance at it one last pop at it and see if i can sort this out while i'm making a pig's i can i've done it there we go apple thirteen thousand three hundred and sixty five sales 
Barnes & Noble 2,292 sales. So in actual fact, for this promotion, I did better in Kobo than I did in Barnes & Noble, which is very interesting and I'm very pleased about that. So that's your numbers breakdown as far as the BookBub is concerned. Now, as you know, the BookBub was promoting to Left for Dead, which is the first book in the Morecambe Bay Trilogy, Morecambe Bay Trilogy 1. I am currently working on Morecambe Bay Trilogy 2. So I am, in setting up this book bub, I'm trying to get lots of enthusiasts for the Morecambe Bay books in the hope that by the time I release the Morecambe Bay book 4, on November the 2nd, I've got lots of people who are all primed and ready to read that book at full price. So if there's anything I'm a bit jittery about, it's about my pricing policy. 60,000 people through Left for Dead for free. I then priced the next book, Circle of Lies, at 99 pence and 99 cents. Now, normally I would have priced that at 1.99, but I did it at 99 today because I'm trying to get people to buy a sequence of six books rather than just three this time. So, and, I, and basically I'm hoping that as many of them as possible will pay full price for the last three that I'm just writing at the moment. That's what I'm aiming for. And the last one is full price as well. So it's it, it's 90, it's zero, 99 pence and cents, and sorry, then 199 pence and cents for book three. And then I'm trying to move them on from book three to the pre-order, which is um, 2.99, we're back to full price then, 3.99 in the States. Um, and then I hope that at that stage, they'll read the next trilogy full price. I'm not putting any discounts on the next trilogy. So I'm effectively trying to front load the new books that I'm writing at the moment. So I'm making lots of sales. I am going to put the prices up on Monday, a week after the promotion. So Circle of Lies is going to go up to $1.99 in the UK next Monday. And truth be told, we'll go up to $2.99 in the UK from next Monday. Because in, in my view, 60,000 people front-loading this promotion is plenty. Many of those will forget they've got it. Many of them will start reading and hate it. And what I'm looking at, what I'm playing for, is as many of that 60,000 people as possible to move through the payment sequence and hopefully to make as much money from that as I can. Now, it's too early to say at the moment whether that's been a success or a failure. I, I'm certainly making lots of sales on the books and I'm certainly bringing income in. I've certainly more than paid for the BookBub promo this week, but it's not as much money as I would have made had I used my previous pricing policy. But I bring you back again to the fact that I'm trying to sell six books here not just three. I'm trying to make my money over six books. So what I hope is that I will make much more money over the six books using that pricing strategy than I would, for instance, you know, just with the normal pricing strategy with three books. And like all things as a self-publisher, I haven't got a clue until I give it a try. And I'm taking a bit of a risk with my income because it might fail dismally or it might be brilliant. <laughs> so I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it works out. But at the moment... All I can really say to you is that in terms of chart positions, there's not really much more I could have done. I could have just got to number one. The only thing, the only extra thing I could have done in terms of 
of ranking was to go one step higher in the UK and get to number one in the UK rankings. Now, I may have got to number one in the UK rankings. You know what I'm like with this stuff. I just check in every now and then. So I may have got to number one, but I didn't see it and I didn't get a screenshot of it. But I'm quite happy with those. It's, number two is as good as number one. Um, it, basically, I wanted to be in the top 10. So I was part of Amazon's uh, you know, promotion infrastructure. I wanted to have that visibility of being that high in the charts. And at the time of speaking to you, I'm still number one in all those charts that I, I read out to you as well. So plenty of visibility as, as a result of that sort of book bub promo. Now, from recollection, I know I could check this if I if I if I wanted to, but I think I said to you last week, I reckoned it was about thirty thousand copies of Don't Tell Meg that I got rid of when I promoted that first time on BookBub. So I'm really very happy. Well, I, I guess I front-loaded it, didn't I? So it was about 30,000 again when you think about it because I front-loaded it with Irina News Today and Free Booksy. You're looking about about 30,000. Um, how many did I do beforehand? Yeah, yeah, it was about 8,247 I did before the BookBub. So BookBub's delivered about another 30,000 three downloads for me. So it just gives you a sense of of what the numbers are and what you're playing for here. Now, if you're new to this, um, you've got to do that when you've got a series because you don't, you're not going to make, all, you, all you're going to do is get, all I would get there is potentially 60,000 readers and you're not going to get 60,000 readers. I would think probably a quarter of those people will actually even pick up and read the book. Uh, that, that might be too conservative, I don't know, but most of them won't even read the book. They'll just grab it as a freebie and forget about it. Um, but what you're playing for is the income that you make from the people reading the first book and liking the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. That's what you're playing for. So I call it sausage on a stick. You give something away for free in the hope that people will buy a packet. In this case, my packet is a packet of six books. I'll keep you up to date with that book by promo and I'll let you know how it goes and particularly how those freebies convert to sales because that really is... What's ex what excites me about this? It needs to convert to sales. If it doesn't, it's not a lot of use. I have to say to you, and again, I always refer back to this if you've listened for a long time. There was a time when I got excited about being the top of those free charts. Now, having made all that money that I made on Facebook ads through selling books, I'm really not at all excited about giving books away for free. I'm just thinking, you better buy something, you lot. You better buy something <laughs> rather than giving away free books. So that metric of free it has ceased to excite me uh, unless it converts to sales. So I, I took no personal pleasure, no personal celebrations at being the top of the free charts. And that isn't to, 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 to put that down as an ambition if you're new to this. But I, I knew that I, I know how to do that now. I know how to get to the, the, the top or very high in the free charts. That's a well-trodden path. The pain point for me now is to make sure that everything I do, every money I spend, turns into profit and more sales and more readers. And with that in mind, I did tell you that part of my strategy with this promotion was also to try and find a better way to get more subscribers. Now, again, it's too early to tell you whether this is working just yet because people need some time to read the book. And while I'm yakking to you, I'll put my mailer night numbers up and just see if there has been any little flurry in terms of subscribers for that, for that particular campaign. But um, I'm not expecting huge things. Yeah, I can, you know, I can see the numbers have gone up, but they haven't gone massive just yet. In, in terms of this. But I created a scrapbook of images showing you the key locations in 
the Walker Bay trilogy. And the reason I did that was because so many people have now got back to me to say, you know, we love this book, we love the locations, we love knowing where all these places are. And so I thought, well, a great way to, to work on that is to create a scrapbook of all the photographs of all the locations I've used and to turn it into something that looks visually attractive and to give that away in exchange for an email address. So I did that for the Morecambe Bay trilogy. I've got loads of photos for the second Morecambe Bay trilogy. I will do exactly the same with that. And at the weekend on Sunday, I created a scrapbook for the Don't Tell Meg trilogy as well. So I created a subscribe page in MailerLite and my scrapbook I used Canva for. I found a nice template for a scrapbook in Canva, which I can adapt. I've got, once I've got the basics, I've been able to adapt it and make it look nice. I brought my Blackpool photos in and it, look, it looks great. So um, I, I, it's, I can't tell you whether this is going to work or not yet. This is just me trying something different to try and get some subscribers or more subscribers. Because again, I, I don't really want to use BookFunnel anymore. I, I have to say, having, having made such good income off my books this year, uh, I'm really quite reluctant to give them away for free at the moment. Um, I, you know, I really, I've always said to you since I wrote them, I did want to put Left for Dead through BookBub. And the jury is still out on on whether this generates enough income to make me happy or not. But I got to do it. I still got to do it regardless. I've got to try it because it might work really well, in which case I'll repeat it. So the other thing that I'm testing with this, obviously, is the scrapbooks. I'm trying to capitalize on what readers are telling me about the locations in the books and to try and give away something in exchange for their email address, you know, something that will be very enticing for them. So what I've done on the show notes this week, if you go to the show notes for this episode, rather than you have to subscribe to see what I've done, I've put a, a link to the two MailerLite pages that I've set up for this. And I've also given you a direct link to the scrapbooks. You don't have to subscribe to my email list to see what the scrapbooks look like. Now, uh, it might give you an idea or some inspiration for something that you could give away with your books. But if you go to the show notes, uh, you'll see it for this week and you'll be able to get a direct look without having to register. Something that I did realize while I was using MailerLite this week, and I'm, um, this has slipped under my radar. It must be pretty recent, I think. But they now... You can now send emails via time zone. And this was actually one of my favorite features when I used to use GetResponse when I was an email marketer. I'm delighted that MailerLite have now introduced it. So when I sent the email out, this is probably why I got such a good response for it, to be honest with you. It works really well. When I sent the email out for beta readers this week, I used this. This is the first time I've swatted it. And I used this schedule by time zone. And my favorite time to send out emails is about sort of seven or eight o'clock in the evening. It's, I always think it's the time. It's when people have done a day's work. They're sat in front of the television, wherever they are in the world or whatever they do, but they're sat down for the evening. Um, they're probably relaxing at that time. And I think you get a better result after six, seven o'clock in the evening. So I scheduled that email to go out at seven o'clock in the evening, but based on time zone. So it goes out at seven o'clock UK time, seven o'clock US time. And um, it's fantastic that that email went out on Tuesday night, I think it was, over a sort of 24-hour period around the world. And then when it had done that, they, they do exactly what GetResponse used to do, which is you get this big map of the world with all the time zones on it. And you can see how many emails that you sent out in different time zones. Absolutely fantastic. So I'm dead chuffed about that with MailerLite because it's I think that's a really good feature. And I, you'll have heard me say with MailerLite, that one of the things you should always do is the resend to no opens. What I can't remember what they call it in MailerLite. They don't call it a resend to no opens. They call it, 
uh, let me just get MailerLite up. They call it an auto-resend campaign in MailerLite, but effectively where you send an email and then two or three days later, you send it to people who haven't opened it. That's a very, very effective internet marketing technique. And also uh, sending by time zone is an effective internet marketing technique. Because if you think about it, when you send an email out, if I send it out seven o'clock UK time, at different points in the world, that's gonna hit people at different stages in their day. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm much less willing to read an email when I've got an inbox full at nine o'clock in the morning than I am later on in the day when I'm relaxing and I'm a little bit more chilled about things. So I think that this is actually an important parameter. So I would urge you, if you've got MailerLite, to give that a test and see whether you get some good results from it. Hopefully not as good results as I managed to get from that beta reader email, which were better than I wanted, really. Um, the other thing that I should say about MailerLite, though, but in the interest of balance, is that they're doing all these lovely, innovative and fancy things, but they still haven't fixed the thing that annoys me most about MailerLite. Now, if anybody from MailerLite is listening, right, stop doing fancy stuff and get this sorted. And the thing they need to sort out is the ability for subscribers to change their details. At the moment in MailerLite, you can unsubscribe, but if somebody wants to update their email address or their details, or if they want to unsubscribe, they have to email me. That is rubbish and it's embarrassing. Okay, that is really rubbish. It's, they should be able to click a little link in their emails that says update, and they should be able to update their own details. So I promote MailerLite, but I'm going to say to the MailerLite people, this is rubbish. Get this sorted out. It's a basic thing. It needs to be in the MailerLite emails. And I'm very happy that you're doing all these brilliant, innovative things. But you, you need to come back to this basic. You need to, before you do anything fancy pants, get this basic thing sorted out, and then come back to doing brilliant things again, okay? But it's too basic for you to ignore. And uh, I mean, it can't be that difficult for goodness sake. You're only giving people access to their part of the database. If you could unsubscribe, surely you can, so to unsubscribe, you've got to access your particular email to unsubscribe. If you can do that, it can't be much of a leap to be able to access your database entry and change it. So I think that's a real priority for MailerLite, but I do still like them and they have made me like them even more with this time zone map. But I just wanted to say to you, they still really annoying me with this not, this inability to update details. It's a, it's a real big Achilles heel, I think, with MailerLite. They need to sort it. It's really not satisfactory that that's not there. Okay, we'll go for a break in a moment or two because I need to slurp my tea before it goes cold. I did just want to say to you, as you know, I decided to list the books that I'm promoting at the moment in Google Play this time around rather than Publish Drive. Now, the reason for that is that it takes so long for books to get published. I like, I love Publish Drive and I love their innovation. But when I list on Google Play, it takes forever sometimes to, for books to get published. It just takes too long. Whereas when I publish them in Google Play, they're done in about 10 minutes. It's actually the, when you, when you list directly on Google Play, it's the fastest anybody ever publishes books. I don't know what checks they go through, but they're, they're there in minutes on Google Play. And because I was under, um, a time frame with this, I had to get the books ready for the BookBub promo. I actually bypassed, I made a consumer decision because of that delay in Publish Drive and I passed them by and I went for Google Play. So now I'm making book sales in Google Play. And it's a while since I've done this. And I just wanted to tell you that Google Play has now, they're, they're really making efforts to improve their service to authors. And 
because I'm now making sales in Google Play, I've, this this new dashboard has come up, um, and the dashboard now gives you at a glance earnings. So I can see that I, how many free books I've got, and then it, it also puts images of the books that I've been selling and tells me how much I've sold that week. Now you never used to get that in Google Play. The the to be honest with you, the, the, the accounting is still a little bit ropey in Google Play. It's not brilliant, but this really does help because it at least tells me what I've earned and what I can budget for income. But uh, the problem with Google Play is you normally have to just, in the old days, the last time I used it, you had to say, you had to put the dates in and it would give you just this rubbishy kind of CSV file download with all your transactions in. You'd have to add them up and work out what you'd earned. It wasn't really very helpful. But I did just want to let you know that if you are listing directly on Google Play, you do get this lovely at-a-glance dashboard now. So I, I'm, I am going to hang on in there with Google Play. I did say to you that the inspiration for this was listening to a podcast episode on the Career Author podcast, and they'd had the people from Google on. I'd never even heard anybody from Google talk before. That it did sound to me that Google were doubling down and really trying to make an effort to get their service for authors sorted out. So I do want to have some titles now listed directly in Google Play. Prior to that, it was easier to do it in Publish Drive. But because of this publishing delay on Publish Drive, it's made me tip back into Google Play again. So if you are one of these people thinking, well, where am I going to list? There's so many choices. What do I do? At least hopefully, when I explain the decisions I make, it will help you to make a more informed decision when you come to decide whether it's Google Play, Publish Drive, or something else. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of SiteGround, the hosting service I use to set up and manage my own WordPress websites. SiteGround is cheap, reliable and fast, and it offers excellent support. Make sure you use their dedicated WordPress hosting to get your websites loading fast and to take advantage of their free one-click SSL certificates. When you buy SiteGround through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, and that goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best WordPress web hosting service for your indie author website, head over to paulteague.com forward slash SiteGround. Blimey, this episode's a bit of a marathon, isn't it? Let's get on with some general writing news. And I received, this is great, this came in this morning in the emails. Let me just read this to you. It says, Hi Paul, just thought you might like to know that the Lancaster and Morecambe U3A, that's the University of the Third Age, which is a, a group, I think it's usually ex-professional retired people. I think that's the U University of the Third Age. Um, they've just started a Zoom crime book club and Left for Dead, the trilogy, is the first on their list. We've even got a walk around Morecambe organised on the day of the first book club. So we're definitely getting into the spirit of things. And that's from a lady called Pauline Lenny. Now, that is amazing. And I wrote to Pauline and said, what, what a great thing to wake up to. And I said to her, I'm used to doing talks to the University of the Third Age because I used to do them when I was at the BBC. And I always used to love the University of the Third Age because they were so sparky. And when I was when I was doing the talks about the BBC, they gave me all sorts of uh, hassle and sport over the BBC licence fee and things like that. And I just always used to enjoy them because they were so lively and fun. And um, so I said to this lady, uh, Pauline, I said, if you, um, if you enjoy the book and don't sort of hate it, it'll go and burn it, then I'd be very happy to jump on Zoom and do a author question and answer and talk to you about the locations that I've used for the book around Walkham. And it turns out that she got back to me and said, we were going for our walk around Walkham today. 
And one of the ladies that she was walking with um, had been singing my praises as a primary school teacher. Now, um, now I, I did a little bit of journalistic research on this lady who I think has remarried since I knew her. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I knew who it is. Um, I used to work with her at the first school I ever worked with. And this is back in, ooh, when was I teaching? 1987 to 1989, this is. This is years back. This is years back. So that's somebody who just know, knows me from teaching because I didn't recognise the name, I had to do some digging. As somebody who recognises me from teaching from the first primary school I was ever employed in at my first ever professional job. So isn't it funny how things come around? But I have to say, this is, this is absolutely beautiful. This was music to my ears, because if you remember, I said to you that what I really want to do with the Book and Bay trilogies, I'd love to appear and do a interview or whatever it is they want me to do at the crime festival they have at the Midland Hotel in Morecambe. Now, for obvious reasons, that hasn't gone ahead this year. I think they were also, I think the money wasn't in place for this year, but they're hoping to get back to it next year. But I would love to talk about books and thrillers that are based in Morecambe at a Morecambe crime event. It feels like a really good fit to me. And because I was doing all of this links together, as you'll see, because I was saying to you that I'd been doing geographical based Facebook ads. So I've been promoting these books within a 50 mile radius of Morecambe. And I've had so many people coming on buying the books because they're based in Morecambe and then subsequently saying to me, oh, it's lovely reading books that are based in places that I know and have visited. So the reason that this has come about, obviously, is somebody spotted it locally, bought the books and now recommended it for their crime club. So I'm really chuffed with that. Not, not only because it's lovely when you hear of somebody from your past who fortunately isn't hunting you down for money. Um, you know, they've got reasonable memories of you uh, from your former profession. And um, if I remember, I'm sure this lady was uh, one of the ladies who, I think she used to do the dinners. She was a dinner lady, dinner assistant, I beg your pardon. And she used to help in the classrooms. I'm sure I've got the right person. And, um, you know, my memory begins to fade after these. It was a long year, a lot of time ago, but I can remember her. And I was trying to remember who her child was as well, but I, I can't quite confirm that. I'm sure I know who it is, though. But that's wonderful. But it's also wonderful that as a result of those Facebook ads that this, this new crime club are using me as their debut book. And... Uh, you know, and they're, they're discussing it. Let's hope they like it. That's all I can say. I'm in trouble if they don't. Well, he was all right at teaching, but he's not so good as a writer. So we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But hopefully they'll like the book anyway. Let's keep our fingers crossed. And um, I wanted to just say to you, because I'm sure it was only a week or two ago, I was telling you that we'd only got about 200 and something reviews on that, you know, that big 12 pack that I've been marketing. I've got 400, 431 reviews on my 12 pack book at the moment. 431 um, I've never had that many reviews on a book. I think it was 300 and something on Don't Tell Meg. So we've exceeded that by, I think, 100 now. So 431 reviews on my 12-pack book. This is the highest number of reviews I've got on anything at the moment. And what's even more pleasing about it is that it's got a 4.5 average. Now, that book, interestingly, was exclusively promoted via Facebook adverts. So it's never been given away for free. I always feel that a penalty of giving away for free is that people don't do any kind of due diligence. They just say, oh, I'll have that, it's free, I'll have that, it's free, I'll have that, it's free. And then maybe they, they think the cover looks all right, so they start reading it, and then they, they find out there's something they didn't like about it. So this is this is one of my problems with free, is that it's very much a supermarket sweep kind of dash, everybody grabbing everything, and, and they don't really do much due diligence. And I think sometimes you take a hit on that with your reviews, and that's why I think that with Don't Tell Meg, it, it's lower on four because I, I punished it so much as a free giveaway, I think that I've I've taken that hit. 
And it's one of the things I'm nervous about with Left for Dead, because Left for Dead currently, although it hasn't got a zillion reviews, it's got 20 to 30 reviews, I think. Left for Dead at the moment is also uh, rated like that. Let me just go and find out what Left for Dead is. It's rated uh, average, um, yeah, 4.3 in the UK. Uh, but it looks like it's, it looks like it's a bit higher than that when you look at the stars. Uh, and what is it in the US? Let's see if it's see if it can do any better in the US. Four point five in the US that book is, and that's just with sales. Now I'm expecting that then to start dipping down towards four, and that will be the punishment I take for giving that book away for free. And it's just just swings and roundabouts, unfortunately. It's just just the way it is. But I I truly believe that. Actually, those reviews have gone up to 435 now on that book. They've gone up four since I actually jotted that number down. So we've got loads of reviews on that 12-pack at the moment. The other thing I wanted to say to you now, I don't know whether this has changed since I spoke to you last week, but I have now got my seven-pack, you know, the one that got that dreaded one-star review. It's now showing four out of five stars. So we've got, uh, we're getting the five stars coming on it now, four and fives. Unfortunately, it's only had that one star. So when you look at the, the 10 pack now, it's showing four stars. Now what I could do with is a little bit of that 12 pack magic, just to move that. Well, I generally, I'm quite happy if they're somewhere, if the, if the fifth star is coloured in some way, I'm happy with it. I don't really like four stars. I'd rather have the fifth star was coloured in some way, and I'm happy with that, because frankly, the stars are so small. When you look at them, you can't really tell whether it's 4.3, 4.5, you know, or 4.7. I've just looked at Now You See Her, for instance, and that's 4.7, but it looks like the same amount of star is coloured as the, as the 4.5 is. So if we can just get one or two more five stars on that, um, that, that, 12 pack book sorry the 10 pack book um we'll have banished that that initial one star review and i can put that behind me and then i might even consider i might even consider and i'll probably live to regret it but i might consider putting that 10 pack for 99 pence and cents on a book book promo before i list amazon exclusive again I, I might do i wanted to say thank you to harper williams who wrote to me this week thank you harper um, i really enjoy your podcast just wanted to mention a website that you might not be aware of that tracks Amazon rankings, hourly, daily, monthly, and yearly. Now, uh, I discovered when I clicked this link that I actually was already registered for this. So it's one of those things I've obviously heard about in the past and then probably forgotten all about. But it, it's it's via Kindle Nation Daily. And I'll put the link on the show notes this week. But the, the URL is tracker.kindlenationdaily.com. But I will put that link on. And it basically just allows you to see what your page ranking is. Um, so... You, you know, uh, I, I could see from that using that tracker that my sales rank, my total sales rank on Left for Dead, when I checked it, when I sort of responded to the email from Harper, that it was 192. So it just gives you your, your sales rank at a, as a glance. And so I have gone back into that book now and I have actually put uh, all my thrillers in there so I can monitor their sales rank. Now, again, you know what I'm like with this stuff. I don't usually get too excited about things like sales rank but when you're doing a promotion it's good to look at that stuff and, and i am looking at it now because i'm looking at circle of lies and i'm looking at the other one trust truth be told because sales rank is important to me because that will determine for me how well the book bub is going i don't expect it to do it immediately i've got to give people time to work through all of the books so anyhow uh, brilliant thanks ever so much for sharing that harper and that link will be on this week's show notes uh, 
A couple of other brief things. I have noticed a lot of people talking about Plotter, uh, P-L-O-T-T-R. There's a lot of buzz in the online world about Plotter. So I downloaded that this week prior to me starting plotting for Bound by Blood. And I just thought I'd see what all the fuss is about. And uh, I, I downloaded it. I had a quick look at it. it to me, it, it does similar things to The Novel Factory. And you'll know if you're a long-time listener that I love The, the Novel Factory. I prefer the download version to the version that's cloud-based. I just get on better with the, the version. I always have Novel Factory open when I'm writing. So I have Scrivener on one screen and I have Novel Factory on the other screen. And always in Novel Factory, I, I put all my book notes in Novel Factory. I have all my character profiles, photographs of the characters in there. Uh, what else do I have in Novel Factory? I just, um, yeah, just, I just jot down my basic notes. It's my ready reckoner, and I have that open on the right-hand side of the screen. Um, and I tend to plot in Google Drive. I just have chapter one to whatever it is, 45, and I put my notes into Google Drive when I'm plotting, and then I move those notes over to the bottom of the Scrivener, each Scrivener chapter, uh, before I write, the day before I write, so it's there to remind me. But that, that's just my personal process. But I had a look at Plotter, looks absolutely fine to me, but it would, it, for me, it would be a, a change in planning style, and I'm quite happy with Novel Factory, so I, I will be sticking with Novel Factory. If you do like Plotter, if you use Plotter and you think it's not quite right, do, I would just recommend you check out Novel Factory. I've, I've used Novel Factory for years. I liked it out the gate. And I know that is quite a unique like. I know that other people don't share my love of, of not as many people share my love of Novel Factory, but it, it would be a tool that I encourage you to take a look at. It does just suits the way I think. It suits the way I plan. Um, you know, I think it's a nice little bit of kit Novel Factory. So if you are looking at Plotter, maybe just have a look at them side by side and see which one suits you best. The other thing I wanted to just mention as my last piece of writing news this week, do you recall that I've had this idea for a book, a science fiction, literary science fiction book called End of Men in my head for ages? And uh, an author that I follow this week had got a pre-release copy of a book called The End of Men. And this book is, I think it's still available for pre so it must be because I, I pre-ordered it straight away. And this is basically a science fiction book pretty well. It's not the same premise as mine, but it's the same sort of premise as mine. And I'll just read the blurb to you. Uh, Glasgow 2025, Dr. Amanda McLean is called to treat a patient with flu-like symptoms. Within three hours, he is dead. This is how it begins. The unknown virus sweeps through the hospital with deadly speed. The victims are all men. Dr. McLean raises the alarm, but by the time the authorities listen to her, the virus has spread to every corner of the world, threatening families, governments and countries. Can they find a cure before it's too late? Can they stop the end of men? Now, you know, so that that's it's completely different from mine, but the concept is the same. Uh, the, the, you know, this, this, it's a discussion, a debate about what if we take men out of the picture? Uh, and it's obviously a sci-fi debate about that so uh, of course i i've paid seven pound 99 for the kindle book of course i'm going to read it because it's exactly the sort of thing that i was looking at and the premise is just absolutely brilliant um, so that's on pre-order when's it released uh when is it released uh, oh my goodness the 29th of april 2021 oh it gives me time to write and publish mine that does my goodness that's a long time the 29th of april 2021 that's ages Blimey, that's what it's like to be a traditional publisher. But anyway, 
I've ordered the thing. Um, and I have to say that, you know, that makes it even more likely that my book would never see the light of day because I'm sure she's done a, a way better job of it than, than I have. But it was just interesting to show that really what my my sci-fi book was, was a it was a discussion, a debate about the role of men now. And I mean that scientifically as well as socially. Uh, you know, do, what is the role of men in, in our modern society? And that's obviously what this book is about too. Uh, because I think it's a pertinent topic. So at least it shows that I'm not crazy in the wilderness, that I, I was hopefully hitting the zeitgeist there. But, uh, you know, my book is, is awkward and, and I haven't done a very good job of it so far. And it looks like it'll be a bit of a struggle for me. So I think I'll probably hand over the mantle of the title and say, look, you know, it's even a great title for goodness sake. Uh, but I'll hand that over to Christina Sweeney Baird, retire from the battle and say, I think you got it. That sounds absolutely brilliant to me. And it's already get kind of brilliant reviews as well. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you might want to pre-order that right now. OK, that's it for writing news. Just a little Spain news to give you. We've changed everything now. We're now planning to leave on the 14th of October. So we were talking about being in Spain on the 1st of November. But with the kids leaving home now, and with us made such brilliant progress in getting the house cleared out, I think, and also I want to have some overlap too, in terms of when houses are rented out and when we go to take the villa in Spain. I just want some overlap, just in case a flight gets cancelled or anything like that. So I said to my wife, let's go earlier rather than later. So we've basically shuffled everything around. Everything's been shuffled, as I like to do. And we're now leaving the UK or planning to leave the UK from Manchester, not Newcastle, because we can't fly from Newcastle anymore, on the 14th of October. And we're going to we're going to Manchester, so even if EasyJet stopped flying, I had a look at Skyscanner the other day, and there's loads of different people fly from Manchester. So unless the whole world's on lockdown again, and they and the planes, they stop moving the planes, if it's not EasyJet, I'm jumping on a plane, whoever's flying from, from Manchester on that day, and we'll get over there by hook or by crook, unless no one's flying, everybody's given it up as a bad job. Now, something else was cancelled this week. Not only have EasyJet cancelled the flight from Newcastle because they're not flying from Newcastle anymore, which is fine. We've just gone to Manchester, which is just as easy as a hub. I also got an email this week from the bus transfer company. Now, the bus transfer company we use in Spain whenever we go because they're brilliant. They pick you up from the airport and they take you to your accommodation. Well, I got an email from them this week. Interestingly, just after... I'd emailed them to say I've changed my plans. We're not going down to Torrevieja first now. We're heading up to Benidorm first now. And then about an hour later, they sent out an email to all their customers saying, due to the present situation, i.e. no one's going to Spain, um, we've cancelled all our bus transfers from the south of Alicante Airport, which is basically Torrevieja. So our bus transfer to Torrevieja would have now been cancelled. Now, what we've decided to do, because we're going earlier, I told you that we'd booked these apartments in Benidorm uh, for two months originally. And when the pandemic hit, I thought, hmm, that's probably not very clever because they're, they're apartments, but they're a bit like hotels in that, that, you know, if the hotels closed, the apartments probably would have to close too because they're serviced apartments. So I said it's probably easier to just get a domestic villa, you know, a house effectively, live in a house for, for, for that time because nothing's going to stop you doing that. So we... Basically, we cancelled the apartments, but we kept the credit for those apartments. I didn't cancel them. I just said, you know, keep the credit. 
and um, I've shuffled the credit round. So we're going to be in those apartments from the 14th of October. We'll go to Benidorm first. We'll have, I think it's about 10 days in Benny. Uh, 10 days in Benidorm then we're good to go down to Torrevieja I've I've booked the villa a week early so we're there in the last week of October and we'll be in the villa until the end of March and then we're going back to the apartments in Benidorm for April that's the plan so far now what can scupper that there's all sorts of things can scupper at the moment frankly aren't there but that's the plan and if for whatever reason we can't get our residency sorted out then we will cancel the last month in Benidorm and I will just put that that just becomes a credit and when we go back to Spain next winter we'll use the month that we can't use in April we'll use it in November 2021 so nothing will get wasted in all of this I can keep bumping bumping moving shuffling and all of that sort of thing so I've just tried to keep things as flexible as we can so that actually gives me um, the holiday that I'm after because I, I, you know, I get ten days in Benny. I love Benidorm at this time of year. I wouldn't want to be there in the heat of, in, in the heart of summer, but I love it in the winter. It's great when it's quiet. Um, I get ten days in Benny. For how many months is it? Five months in Torrevieja, and then a month in Benidorm again. If if everything goes according to plan. Now again, we're going through all these contortions to try and get our residency documents, and I I, I have to put. A lot of money in my bank. Uh, in, I've got a Spanish bank which I've managed to set up in the UK uh, and you have to have a certain amount of money in your Spanish bank account for three months before you start the residency process and it's quite a lot of money it's um because it's a bit like you know when people come into this country uh, you have to show certain income levels and things like that and because I'm I kind of fall between the stools because I'm not working, but I've got a private pension, but I'm not a state pensioner. They sort of almost like state pensioners better than they like a private pension. Um, we just, it's easy to just stick a load of money in the bank, leave that in there for three months and then wave that at them and say, there you go. I'm not going to be a burden, you know, on the Spanish government when I'm here. That, that's effectively what you're proving. So everything is now set up for that i've got private health care cover which i have to have for the first year if i stay that long and we've got the money in the bank <laughs> and, and it's really frustrating actually it's quite a lot of money you just sat there doing nothing and it's really frustrating just as a sit there for three months while you jump through the hoop and when you've jumped through the hoop and you've got your little card you could then take it out and do something with it again but it's um yeah it's a bit that's a bit sort of frustrating to be honest with you but we do you know what i'm trying to achieve in all of this and and what's forced the issue normally i might have said with all the covid stuff going on normally i might have said you know what let's just just wait until it's a better time to go but because the the uk is coming out of the eu this year and i'm not happy about that at all I want to be able to stay in Spain longer than three months. I don't want to get limited as a UK, a normal UK citizen will, to three months. Now, we don't even know what the deal is yet because they're taking it right up to the edge. And it's very possible that nothing might change uh, after the new year. But I want to sort of make sure, because I love Spain so much, I effectively, I'd like to winter over there. Now, now I've finished formal work. And this is why we're really pushing to try and get this this document, because this is our last opportunity before we come out of the UK to guarantee that we can get this document and these rights of residency um, in Spain. 
And I just want to tuck that under my sleeve. I might never use it, but I just want to get it while I can so that we're not limited to three months in Spain at Christmas. We can go out there for four, five or six months. That That's what this is all about. So I was saying to my wife today, you know, we are going to some ridiculous contortions to do this, you know, bearing in mind there's a pandemic on. Um, and, you know, so I'm looking at the, the figures in Spain, but I have to say my impression of Spain is that they're managing... The pandemic, uh, in spite of the figures, much better than they are in my own country. So I'm not at all worried about going over to Spain. Uh, I think they've handled it, in my opinion, very well. So uh, that that doesn't trouble me um, in, in the slightest. And also reading the forums from Brits abroad, they're all saying, you know, our perception is is that the Spanish are much more adhering to the rules and the masks and things like that than than people are back home. So uh, that's that's my view of it. So <laughs> um, it's pressing on. I, I paid for the villa today. That's another thing I did. So the villa for five months is paid for. They're expecting us there on whenever it is, the twenty fourth of October. And, you know, so it's all it's all rolling on. It's all rolling ahead. And the other thing that happened this week is my new Chromebook arrived. So my my wife currently is using a my old Apple laptop. I, I bought it years ago, this laptop, but I when everybody was saying Apple's are brilliant and I thought oh, I better get a look at this. And I bought an Apple. Was it a MacBook Air? I bought it and I hated it and I gave it to my wife and she loves it. But it's pretty well on its last legs now. So I said to her, look, when we're in Spain, you have my my old Chromebook and I'll get a, a, a newer Chromebook because I'm with a wider screen because I'm gonna to have to write on this side the biggest screen I can get so I can write on it and not get eye strain so my new Chromebook arrived today and the funny thing about Chromebooks is it's really quite hard to spend a lot of money on them I can't remember what it cost it was about 269 something like that it certainly wasn't over 300 pounds it's a wonderful piece of kit it's sort of got a lovely metal chassis it's got one of these wide angle um, webcams on it it's got a nice speaker system at the sides. It feels really nice. It's extremely light. Uh, and the new generation of Chromebooks allows you to load apps like you would on your phone. So I can watch Google Play on there in, in widescreen. You know, it's just it's a really a really nice piece of kit to use. I've been setting it up this week. So I will be switching to the Chromebook. Now, is it next week? No, the week after, you'll get one more diary from me recorded on my main PC. And then I will have to switch to a Chromebook. When I take this PC is going to university with one of my kids uh, next Sunday. So after that, I will be recording these updates on my Chromebook and editing them on my Chromebook. So I'm hoping the Chromebook will do the job. So we'll see how that goes. Spain then is continuing to chug along. We're still intending to go there. It does feel pretty crazy sometimes when I'm looking at the contortions we're having to, to go through to get there. But, you know, I really feel like, on principle, I want to be in Europe on the night the UK leaves the EU. Just on principle, I want to be there. And, uh, you know, I want to do whatever I can at this moment to enable myself to go back to Spain whenever I want without limitation. But just we can do now before we crash out the, the EU. So it's quite an important point of principle for me. Whereas normally, during the middle of a pandemic, I'd have just sat back and said, all right, let's just wait for the pandemic to pass and then we'll go and sort this out. But unfortunately, there are other timescales here. And of course, what I will be really frustrated with is if the UK government come up with some deal, which means we've still got freedom of Europe, uh, freedom of movement in Europe, and I can just do as I please. But whatever, we'll be in Spain for Christmas and New Year, which will be fabulous. Okay, that's it from me. 
this is a real long one. I think this might be the longest one ever. It must be close to it. Anyway, apologies for the length of this. I hope the information was useful and I will be back next week. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.com forward slash podcast. If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, head for paulteague.com forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thanks very much for listening and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye-bye for now. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 2, Episode 7, for Saturday the 12th of September 2020. Coming up this week, Real Life Intervenes. The past seven days have been more about dropping kids off at uni and trips to the tip than being an author. I did, however, start writing Bound by Blood this week, ahead of schedule, and why I said no to a book club deal this week. So... Just to let you know, it's going to be a much shorter episode this week, mainly because I haven't been doing that much writerly stuff. The other thing is, I can tell as I'm talking to you, it's sounding really, really echoey in here, and I should explain right from the get-go that I'm recording this three times, just to make sure I get it. I'm recording it on my phone, which is to my left-hand side here, just below my mouth, just directly below me, and then I've got my regular microphone in front of me, and I'm recording in two Chrome-based recording tools. Now, the reason for this is that I took my, two of my kids to university last weekend and my computer has gone with one of them. And I basically set it up so that I have one of my big screens and my new Chromebook. So I'm, I'm using a double screen arrangement. Because I'm on Chromebooks now, then clearly what I can't do... <clears throat> <clears throat> then clearly what I can't do is use the normal tools that I would use to record. So I normally use a piece of software called Camtasia. So I'm doing belt and braces to make sure I actually get this thing recorded. <laughs> and I can tell as I'm speaking to you, it sounds really empty and echoing in here at the moment. So apologies for that. That's just how it has to be at the moment, I'm afraid. I'll talk to you more about the switch to the Chromebook later on in this episode. But let's get straight to my writing update for the week. And when I spoke to you last week, I said I wasn't going to be writing this week. I didn't think I'd be writing for a while. In actual fact, I decided, as, as always, I took a look at my schedule, which is now in Trello. And I decided that when the, the third child goes to university on Monday morning, I could go into the bedroom and clear it and, and move out of it. We're trying to move out of upstairs at the moment as much as we can. And I could do that on Monday and Tuesday, and I could make a real kind of leap in terms of our preparedness. So I thought, I don't want to write on Monday and Tuesday, so I realised that I could squeeze it in at the end of this week, rather than doing it at the beginning of next week. So on Thursday, yesterday, I started Bound by Blood, which is the third book in Morecambe Bay Trilogy 2, and I wrote 1,996 words for the prologue, and then about half an hour ago, I finished writing today, chapter one, and I wrote 1,711 words, which means I've written 3,707 words this week when I hadn't intended to write anything. I may well write tomorrow as well, just because I like rounded up numbers. 
uh, and just get to 5,000 words. Uh, I'm due to start writing next Wednesday the 16th after child three has gone to university. We're rattling around in this house. So <laughs> that, that's what I intend to write. So again, I, I'll tell you next week what I end up doing, but I am free-forming things just a little bit at the moment, as you can tell, because every time I see the opportunity to get a job done or some, some extra work done, I, I do. So for instance, I hired a van last weekend, uh, quite a big van, because I had two kids to take down south down south from Carlisle, that is, to, to university. And I hired it for four days, and we've got loads of stuff that we'd sorted in the shed, which I then took to the tip. So we'd be doing loads and loads of runs. We had a look at the storage containers that we're using uh, to put our stuff in. Just all, you know, all of these sorts of things we've been doing at the weekend. So it's been very different seven days since I last spoke to you. As far as editing's concerned, I went through my final sweep of Trust Me Once this week, and this was the final sweep of Julie Cordoner's suggested changes. So Julie does a thorough edit on the book and sends it back to me, and then I always get the track changes version back. And I don't go through all the track changes. Uh, my, you know, my, my view always was, and when I was in management, my view always was, is that you recruit teams because you trust them. Uh, you know, so I, my default position is I trust you to do your job until you show me that I can't trust you to do your job. So, uh, I, you know, I was one of these, when I was running teams at the BBC, I was one of these kind of empowering people who said, well, look, you get on with it, come to me when there's a problem, uh, and, and, and we'll sort of review it and see if it could have been improved um, afterwards. So that's, you know, I, what I mean is I don't need to check every change. You know, I trust people to, to make the changes. So. I don't feel the need to go through every single change that Julie's made, but very helpfully what Julie does at the side of her edits is she gives me lots of notes for things that I need to make the final call on. That might be a choice of words or phrases. It, it, it might be something that I've done and she'll say, did you mean to say this? Is this what you meant? Have I interpreted this correctly? So there's a whole load of notes at the side and that's the stuff that I do need to attend to. And that's what I did this week. I went through all of those notes and as I said to you last week, I always feel like I'm a child of the 70s getting a piece of marked work bag that's covered in red pen when, when, I, when I get an edit back. And I'm always relieved that actually there's way less work in there than, than I uh, expected. There's much less to think about than I expected. So I got another pleasant surprise with Trust Me Once. There, there wasn't anything in there. Uh, that troubled me. And I, I sent Julia a note to say what a great edit it was. You know, I really do appreciate a, a, a great edit because, you know, a, an editor who's in tune with what you're trying to achieve, and when you find an editor that you can work with, and I've been very fortunate, you know, I, uh, I've worked with Helen Fazar, I've worked with Julie Cordoner. Uh, Ju Julie, could, uh, the only reason I've, I've sort of moved from Helen is because Julie can keep up with my pace. Uh, Helen is booked so far ahead. Um, and she, she works in a different way uh, with more traditional authors, whereas Julie can keep up with my pace. You know, I can, I can give Julie three books over the course of a very tight time period, and between us we can get them out and release between us. So uh, that's why I've pivoted to Julie. Julie's given me some great edits. I'm very, very happy with the edits I'm getting. I dropped her a note you know, to, say, to say as much. And, and to me, these feel like they're, they're, they're pertinent edits. You know, as an author... You're, nev you're never going to be perfect. You're going to be far from perfect. And, and I certainly am aware that I need somebody 
to pick up on my worst excesses, you know, my bad habits, things that when I edit it, maybe I don't even see that I'm, I'm blind to. It's like a blind spot in a car. And I think you're always going to have those. And perhaps the more you do it, the more you become aware that you've got blind spots and perhaps you look for them. But, you know, I've, I've got plenty of blind spots. And uh, I was particularly uh, grateful for Judy. I mean, I've, I've really focused on on voice. You know, I've I've really made an effort to stop head hopping. But but Julie had, had discovered some, I think, you know, quite subtle head hopping that, well, how could he have known that if this is from the main character's point of view? And you look at it and you think, oh, you know, yeah, that's, you're, you're right. And she'd, she'd really caught some ones of those that were you know, just a little bit naughty of me. I'd let those slip through. Um, I always appreciate uh, word choice comments as well and, and structural and plot comments. Those are always incredibly useful. And actually, we had a bit of a laugh between us because I, I actually got something... Julie went well above and beyond the call of, of duty as an editor this week because there's a little scene in the book where two, two ladies are, are in the toilet cubicles or the restroom, wherever you are in the world, if, you, if that's what you call them. And um, one of the restrooms doesn't have any toilet paper in it. And, I, and it's just a, a small thing. It's just um, some action for the ladies while they're talking across the cubicles. That's, that's all it is. And one of the cubicles doesn't have paper in it. So uh, the ladies pass paper between the cubicles. And I actually had them passing it over the top of the cubicles. But of course, um, you know, I'm not, not a lady, but I am writing from a lady's point of view. And of course, as Julie pointed out, ladies pass t toilet paper under the cubicles because you're in a seated position so i mean that's above and beyond the call of duty i said to julie you know you don't even have that on your website but you offer toilet cubicle comments and feedback as well so i got i got a real bonus this week at the editing so <laughs> we're having a laugh about that because you know sometimes again as a, as, as a bloke when you write women you don't think of everything and um that's a small, that's just a small detail that I've missed, but a very, very important one. All women listening to this will know that. My wife knew it when I mentioned it to her straight away. So thanks for that, Julie. Now, uh, so that's another great edit. You know, thanks very much, Julie, for doing that. And just to let you know, um, Julie has editing services. You can go to the web link, juliecordoner.com forward slash editing hyphen services. And I will put that link on this week's show notes if you are looking for an editor Certainly check out Julie's services. I mean, she's done many of my books now. I can't remember how many it is, Julie. It must be quite a few. She's not sick of me yet. She hasn't sacked me yet. So I keep sending them her way. She's got another two of mine to do before Christmas. So if you do commission Julie, please don't nick any of my slots. Uh, to tempt her with great amounts of money or anything like that. Because I've got two to get out by Christmas. But uh, you know, I certainly recommend Julie's services. We're getting on very well as, as writer and editor. I really appreciate you know, a good edit, as I said. So um, that book was sent to beta readers yesterday. I uh, went through Julie's comments. You know, I did my sort of final uh, uh, checks of it, and then uh, I exported it, to put it into Book Funnel, and then I sent it to my hundred or so beta readers. And I thought you might find this useful actually, because I, I because I've got so many beta readers, one hundred and twenty, I think it is, something like that. Again, if you listen back to the episode, you'll hear me saying that I made a bit of a mess up in that, um, you know, I opened it too much and I've ended up with too many beta readers. So to be honest with you, I've been pretty strict about it and I, I've, I've, I want to prune that list down to 10, maximum 20 really good quality beta readers. 
So I sent out an email to the beta readers last night and I, I kind of did a fight club, sort of rules of beta club uh, email. And I just thought you might find these interesting. Uh, this is by no means me setting myself up as a model of this because I'm fairly new to beta reading. Uh, but it, it's it's how I set my expectations for beta readers. And, I, and as I say, I, I'm not here to give away free books to people who are just loaded up on free books and not giving me feedback. So I need to weed out those tire kickers and time wasters and try and get as quickly as possible to a team of people who give me great feedback. Now, I had a team of about eight of those people who were really, really good from the last time I did this, and I'm really just looking to top that up with some others. So my rules of beta club were, to so I, sent, I, I give them a date, a sell-by date. So please send me your comments by Friday the 16th of October at the latest, and then I give them an email to send those comments to. If I don't receive any feedback from you by that date, you automatically drop off the list of beta readers. Now, in my experience, you'll get all sorts of last-minute emails saying, you know, I had a bad hair day, the wind's blown my house away, Every, you know, the dog ate me homework. You'll get all sorts of excuses, okay? And, and this is just the way people are. Right? I'm not really, I'm not interested in excuse makers. I'm interested in people who see the date and make sure they get it done by the date because that's what I want as beta readers. So that's going to be um, a sudden death. You know, if you, if you don't get it back by that date, I don't really care what the uh, excuse is. Um, you're off the list. Um, next point, I'm aiming to build a small team of people who provide useful and constructive feedback. So you may find yourself pruned from this list if you don't provide that. Now, again, from previous experience, I've had emails back where people just said, yeah, I really enjoyed the book. Well, thank you, but that's not very helpful for me. You know, what I need is you, um, you know, I, I need more than that, not just a, it was a good book. I don't, I don't want that, <laughs> you know, and, um, and even if you say it was a good book, I didn't spot any spelling errors or, you know, grammatical errors, I didn't spot anything, uh, you know, that troubled me in terms of UK language, um, and, and, you know, and I felt this was strong or, you know, you could improve that, I, I just, I want to, I want to hear more than I just enjoyed the story, really, so again, I, I'll prune people on that basis. The next point was, and this is really interesting. I don't provide, underlined, I don't provide any technical support if you can't access the files. I'm too busy writing books. Now, would you believe it? So you say, look, no technical support. Figure it out, because if you can't figure it out, we're not going to get on, <laughs> okay? Because I've sent you a book funnel file. There's a little help thing at the top there. You get all the help you need from book funnel, all right? But don't bug me with problems. And so I made that very, very clear. And, you know, email i got an email back saying i can't access the files i've tried everything so it looks like i won't be able to read the books then and you know what absolutely right you're not going to be able to read the books because if you can't figure it out for yourself if you're not independent if you do, i don't want you drawing energy from me <laughs> you know you're a beta reader you're there to help me not draw energy from me so i'm really strict about this technical support thing right if you give people an inch they'll take a mile and uh, they'll drink you dry of every energy you've got. So I made that very clear. No technical support, right? Because I need people who can figure it out. Figure it out. You know, don't bother me with it. Figure it out. It's easy enough. Now, I tested the file beforehand. I got it onto my uh, Kindle reader so I can give it another read. So the files work. I've checked it. All right, don't bother me. Figure it out. So I'm very strict about that. Please provide your feedback in a single summary email, not as a series of emails. This is a trick I learned from doing this previously, where you get an email from somebody who said, oh, I, I, you know, does this need a capital letter or something like that? And then you get another email from them an hour later. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, can't cope with that. 
okay? I need one email, a single summary email, which I will then subsequently work through, um, uh, you know, one, uh, one email at a time, but I cannot take loads of emails with lots of different comments on. The other thing is, is um, I'm very specific about what feedback I want. So I've highlighted this. I'm looking for the following feedback. Did you spot any spelling, factual, or formatting errors? Did you spot any plot inconsistencies? Did I use any UK phrases which confused you? And that last one is something that I've learned as I've gone along, that sometimes I've had a few comments from, from excellent beta readers from Canada and from, uh, from the USA. Who, who have said, I haven't got a clue what you meant by that phrase. And I, I don't mind changing those because I, I do tend to use a lot of phrases like that, uh, that that you would know in the UK that perhaps you wouldn't know abroad. And so I'm very happy to change that wording if it confuses. Why not? If somebody points out, why not? It's easy enough. Uh, the, the phrase isn't essential. So I am happy to have those flagged up to me because I am aware that I'm publishing to an international audience and I want to make the books as accessible as possible. So another note I've done in this, I did say these are the rules of Beta Club. Um, underneath that section I've put, when you draw my attention to errors, please note the chapter and cut and paste the whole sentence if you can, so it's easy to do a find and replace. So another thing I've found is that people will often say uh, chapter, chapter one, and then maybe put the word frog in, and then brackets needs capital letter, say. And then I somehow got to find the word frog, in, you know, looking for a needle in a haystack. It's much more useful if they can give you the, whatever the, the problem is, whether it's a, you know, a grammar question, punctuation, whatever it is they're flagging. Um, if they give you a sentence or part of a sentence, and then you can find and replace it and you can find it much quicker. So, uh, again, I'm not sort of setting myself up as some kind of guru of beta readers because I'm very new to this myself and, and really just feeling my way in the dark but there's a few things in there that I have learned already that you may find particularly useful if you do this and what I would say and this, this is again you know something picked up from, from from years of working in management that the clearer you are and the more prescriptive you are without writing war and peace the better results you tend to get so if you're very vague about what you want you'll get very vague results but if you're very specific about what you're looking for you will specifically pick up those results. Now, I would suggest to you, um, with the technical help, um, that you do assert that because, you know, with 100 people, I get 100 people with technical problems, that's just going to bleed me dry in terms of my time and my energy. So you've got to be strict about that. And this is why we use BookFunnel. The help is all there in BookFunnel. And, and this person who said, I, I can't figure it out, well, why don't you just click the help button at the top right-hand corner? But if you can't, if you can't self-help, when it's right in front of you, you know, then really you probably don't need to be on my beta team because you're probably going to take up more, you know, you're going to take more from me than you give me in beta reading. So I, I, I would suggest you're quite strict about things like that, you know, because some people will, they're like time vampires, they will drain you if you let them. So I've now moved that onto my Kindle and I'm going to, I'm going to read it as a reader now, uh, not as a writer, I'm just going to read it and see if there's anything there that jars, sentences that jar, that don't scan right, that maybe I have to read back. I think, what, what did that mean? I didn't quite catch that the first time. So I'm going to read it as a reader now, uh, you know, rather than the world's worst critic. I, I, that, I just want to read the thing and see how it feels to me now. And, and then I might come back and highlight things on my reader and just maybe make those very last minute tweaks.
Now, I need to talk to you about my Chromebook because now I've lost my PC, I'm on a Chromebook and I had to do those changes on that Chromebook. Now, so editors always work in Word documents and they always have track changes on. I'm on a Chromebook which allows me to access my Word documents. So I've, I've got, there's a Word app for Chromebooks which allows me to import and read and, and edit Word documents. But as I found out this week, it doesn't work quite as neatly as Word on a PC does. This is, this, this is the problems I had with Macs when I moved to Macs, that, that yes, in those days I could use Dreamweaver, yes, I could use Photoshop, but the, the experience of using the software was completely different to what it was on a PC. And that's what I found with my Word editing this week. So in Julie's documents, I could see the track changes, but it wouldn't let me, what I usually do with track changes, I accept the track changes and I just want to work through the comments, the, the things I need to look at, and it wouldn't let me do that. And that was very frustrating. So I ended up going through this ridiculous rigmarole of moving um, Julie's documents into Vellum. Was, it, was, it, was that what I did? I can't remember what I did now. I did some ridiculous process I did to, so that I could just work through the comments and make those adjustments. Because, you know, it looks like the first 10 minutes of Saving Private Ryan when you look at all the track changes on one of my documents. You know, there's so many changes being made. And you've got all these changes in red. It's difficult sometimes to work out what the heck's going on. So the Chromebook uh, failed that first test. Now, I do have a laptop around, uh, a Windows laptop, which I, I was going to throw out, actually. I was going to, you know, hit it with a mallet, basically, and break up the hard drive. But I'm, I'm pleased I discovered this before we, we move out to Spain, because I'll use that just for Word. It's very slow on the internet, but I did think to myself, actually, if I have lo Word loaded in that, I, I don't need to use it for the internet at all. Um, I could also probably record um, audio and podcasts on it, because, of course, it has Camtasia on it. I used to take it on holiday with me and things like that to record podcasts. So uh, what I will do is I will take that Windows laptop with me and I will use it for editing so I could use Word um, you know, on a, on a Windows desktop and it will do everything that I need it to do because it's going to be too hard for me to mess around with edits um, in a Chromebook. It's just too many steps that I have to navigate around um, and I've got another two books to do before Christmas. They need to be out fast. I can't be messing around with it. So yeah, I'm pleased I discovered that before we went because I think that would have proved quite frustrating for me um, if, if I'd been in Spain only got a Chromebook and had to be stuck with that. Um, what I would say, though, is I, I'm writing Bound by Blood directly into Chrome, into, into a Google Doc at the moment. And I've always got on very well with that. Um, I've, I've pre-formatted the pages, so I've got, everything's formatted the, the way that I want it with all the right indents and things like that. So I'm getting on very well with that. But what I, what I also know from Chrome, this is why I think I'm going to have to probably move to a Windows laptop uh, to, to do my writing. Because again, if I've got a Windows laptop, of course, I can be back in Scrivener again. So I, I don't really know why I did. Well, I know why I wasn't going to bring that laptop originally. It's because it's just a bit slow for the internet. It's just a bit clunky. But for editing, I think it might have to. I might have to use it because Chrome's just not going to to do the job. Because I do know that when I when I have a full book in a Google Doc, so 70, 75,000 words, it's very slow and clunky to move around that document and for it to load that document. So it's very, it's excellent for shorter documents, but it is very clunky when you get full books in there. So I, I am gonna to have to pivot a little around this, but I'm very pleased that I 
have found these things before I kind of cut off my nose to spite my face. <clears throat> I did say to you that this is going to be a brief one this week, and indeed it is. I'm onto the sales and marketing information now, and I don't have an awful lot of that to share with you. The first thing that I've got to tell you is that I submitted the secret bunker to BookBub. I think I can't remember if I'd done that when we did last week's podcast, but it, it's gone in for a BookBub now. And the good news is, is that they offered me a BookBub straight away, which is great. So remember, I've been trying to get the grid and the secret bunker for a BookBub for ages while they've been in KDP Select, and I keep getting knocked back and knocked back. And so the first time of asking with the secret bunker, they say, yes, when it's listed wide, you can have a book bub. There's a history of them liking that book. So I've got a history of them liking Don't Tell Meg, uh, Secret Bunker, uh, not so much The Grid, but they like they seem to like The Secret Bunker, but they offered me it in the horror category. And I don't want it in the horror category. You get this email back from them saying, our, our team of editors has decided that this is more suitable in the horror category. Well, this author is telling you it's not. Um, because The Secret Bunker, although you might put that first book in the horror category, you could probably just get away with it, to be honest with you. The problem is, is that I'm giving away the first book to sell books two and three. And books two and three are very definitely sci-fi. You know, we get into we get into aliens in books two and three. None of that in book one. And so for me, it's about setting up the correct reader expectation. Although you might just squeeze it through horror book one I think a horror audience then reading on would say you know aliens don't want aliens in my book that's a sci-fi book so in, in my mind there's absolutely no doubt that that is a sci-fi series and what I don't want to do is send a load of the wrong readers into it now I have done it on a horror category before and it did make money and it didn't seem to hurt my reviews too badly uh, which is fabulous, didn't, didn't hurt them too badly, but it's not what I want. They're the wrong readers. I want sci-fi readers on that book. So as far as The Secret Bunker is concerned, I may try one or two different permutations with BookBub, but we may have to part ways with The Secret Bunker uh, on, you know, on that particular book because I just don't want it in horror. I, I want to get a sci-fi reading audience because the other thing about a sci-fi reading audience is then they'll go on to read Phase 6 and they'll go on to read uh, The Grid, which are all cross-promoted in that book. It's really important to me that I get sci-fi readers. So, um, yeah, can you believe it? I actually turned down a book book deal this week. But, you know, it's $500, $600. And it's important to me that that works for me in my business. Uh, I'm not like some kind of starved-for-love dog, you know, that will take any pat that anybody gives it, i.e. anything that, that book book throws out. And sometimes I think you need to, uh, you know, dig heels in and say, no, that's not right for me. And, and it didn't make so much money last time that that it's worth me doing. It would it would be in profit. It was last time. I think I made about £2,000 on it. Uh, sorry, it would be about maybe a 1000 and a half profit, something like that, uh, on the last one. So it, it's good, but it's wrong. It's not the right audience. So having done that, then, I've now got the grid submitted for a book bub, and the grid is now listed wide. So I haven't had a reply about the grid yet. Again, we'll, like everything in this life, this author life, we'll just have to wait and see. 
Um, but I, you know, if I can't get the secret bunker in the category that I want, and if they knock back the grid, it may make me have another little try at trying to get that sci-fi uh, box set on KDP Select. I was looking at the reviews I'd got on that. I hadn't done much with it, but I, I was getting reads on it. And it's getting reviewed well there. And I just thought to myself, hmm, I might come back to that. <laughs> I might try it in KDP and try thrashing the adverts a little bit more because, you know, it's, it's doing all right, to be honest with you. Now, before I go, I just want to tell you, I, I should have got this page up, so I'm just going to have to get it up while I'm talking to you. I'm over 500 now. Oh, I've messed it up. This is another thing about my Chromebook that I don't like. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to write, I'll mess with that. It's, um, I've got a Bluetooth keyboard that I'm using it with, and sometimes it can't cope. It has a delay on it, and that's, that's a bit annoying too uh, because a Chromebook's all in the cloud. You've got a little bit of lag sometimes between my Bluetooth keyboard and it actually going into the computer. So... You may find me pivoting from a Chrome. I love Chromebooks. They're great to travel with, but it may not be quite the right choice for Spain. I just wanted to let you know, though, that I've now had, on that 12-pack of thrillers, I've had 568 reviews, uh, and, and that is uh, four, the average is 4.5 out of 5 stars, over 568 reviews. Now, that is now my most reviewed book, that's quite phenomenal for me, 568 reviews. It just it just shows you how many people, how many copies we shifted of that when I was doing those those promotions. When you think that Don't Tell Meg is was up to date, my my most popular book. Let me just see how many reviews that's got. That was 300 and something, I think, that one on Don't Tell Meg. That's the book that's been most flogged in my portfolio. Let's see how many reviews it's got now. Where are you, Don't Tell Meg? Uh, here it is. Sorry, I should have had all this ready for you as usual. 351. So have I got over, is it over 200 more? Yeah, it's about 200 more reviews, isn't it? And and, and it's getting it's getting sort of reviewed very highly as well. That's really uh, gratifying. That's great. Uh, I'm also pleased to see that uh, Left for Dead is, is sort of getting reviewed highly too, even though it's been through a book bar. I always expect those reviews to go down. And it, I, I did always wonder whether it was just me having a, bit, having a bit of a moan. You know, I've always said to you that when I give away books for free, I'm sure, I'm very certain that my reviews take a hit. If you listen to Six Figure Authors this week, I'm sure it was that, but I was listening to it in bed and I fell asleep in the first 10 minutes. But I'm sure Lindsay Barocca, one of the um, other presenters, was saying exactly the same thing, that you take a hit on promoting books for free. The reason they said you take a hit is the same reason I say you take a hit, is that people, when they're not paying for a book, they're less discerning about it. They, they just say, oh, that looks all right, that looks fine. They don't read the detail. So, for instance, on some of my books, on, on, on many of my books, certainly don't tell Meg, I do say very explicitly, you know, this has scenes of a, a sexual nature um, and there's some mild violence in it. I do flag that up very clearly. And then if somebody then moans in a review about there being um, sexual content in it, well, you didn't obviously even read the, the blurb, did you? So I think people, my experience is that people who pay for books are a little bit more discerning than people who don't pay for books. And I think you take a hit on those, on those reviews. So, so why then, this is why I want to mention this 
12 pack because this 12 pack has books in it's got a couple of books in there that haven't really fired for me and, and yet the whole 12 books are getting reviewed like that now everybody had to pay for that book that 12 pack has not been given away for free so everybody was paying 99 pence or £1.25 for it yet it's managed to get that number of reviews and it's managed to get reviewed that strongly so um Hopefully that bears out what I say, that people who even pay a little bit, um, you know, look a little bit harder. The other thing it, it tells me is how effective and brilliant Facebook advertising is. Again, you've, you've, you've heard that I was clamped by Facebook a while back, which was extremely frustrating. It was clamped at a time when I was just making a breakthrough with Facebook advertising. I just learned how to do it and I was in profit and it was working well for me and then they clamped me wouldn't let me back on that was extremely frustrating and now obviously I've come back and spent thousands of pounds on Facebook we seem to be through touch wood those main clamping issues that I was having and now this book has been promoted exclusively on Facebook and it's got that number of reviews and that level of reviewing which is very uh, gratifying I've had, I've had some wonderful feedback uh, from people directly on the Facebook page on that book so I have to say as soon as I, I'm, I'm going to try don't tell Meg on BookBub which I think I could do at the beginning of October. And then if I get knocked back, I'm going to go straight back into KDP Select and get, get those books listed at the same time, those thrillers at the same time. Because my, my experience is that if I sell box sets, so, so either those huge box sets, the 10-pack, the 12-pack, but also the three-packs, they all seem to sell extremely well at 99 pence on Facebook particularly if they're in KDP Select and you then get the benefit of reads. That's, that's my kind of early findings. I want to push that again and, and when, when, we, when I've just gone through this little book bug phase. But that's my theory at the moment, that KDP Select and promoting on Facebook has been working really well for me. I want to push that a little bit more, I think, uh, particularly when I've got more money in the bank. So rather than having to run up thousands and thousands of pounds on credit cards, I, I don't have that fear factor. I can, I can actually pay those bills with cash as we're going along. So um, I'll keep an eye on that and I'll let you know what I'm up to. Thank you very much for listening. I did say it was going to be a short one this week. <laughs> and we are, what, episode seven in our 10-week run. In weeks nine and 10, I'll be reviewing quarter three and I'll be giving you my quarter four goals in those final two episodes. So I suspect next week's going to be a little bit briefer too because there's lots of moving around rooms and cleaning rooms and collapsing furniture and moving boxes and things like that. Uh, but I'll continue to update you on what's going on even though my time for writing and editing is a bit more squeezed at the moment. I'll continue to keep you up to date uh, you know, through all this packing and all this transition through to moving to Spain. So I hope you have a great week of writing and I'll speak to you soon.